you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Hello, amazing friends. Over the last couple of weeks, you might have heard about a tumultuous situation with the Spider-Man film rights, which were previously shared between Walt Disney Studios and Sony Pictures, and how they have reportedly reverted fully to Sony's ownership. The repercussions, as far as we know, are that Tom Holland's Spider-Man will no longer be able to appear in or reference the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and vice versa. Understandably, this has caused a wide range of reactions with fans of Spider-Man and Marvel as a whole, and there have been astonishingly quick calls to speak out and take action one way or another. But no matter where you or we stand on corporate ownership of the Spider-Man property, it's clear that we all have a ton of passion for superheroes like Spidey. And if we've learned anything from the superheroes we admire, it's the importance of using that passion to act on the things that are important to us and to use our abilities to make positive change however we can. So we're asking you, our fellow web slingers here in the United States, to take action and make your voices heard where it counts. Please register to vote. You can easily register online at places like vote.org, where you can also check to see if you're already registered, and even get reminders about important local elections you may not have known about. You've shown how much you care about Spider-Man, and we know you have a lot of caring in you. So make a choice to act on the issues that affect all of us and matter most to you. Register to vote today. Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Yes, you imperious moron, it is! <laughs> awesome. To listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. This episode is supported by our spectacular and up patron, Bo Harper. Mm-hmm. And if you have been following along with our episodes, you know that we play a game called Walloping Word Snappers. And we did, in fact, have some submitted Word Snappers words last episode. I suspect you figured out what they were. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Uh, We were charged (laughs) with including the phrase, Doug's eaten 93 donuts today by Spider-Girl Gemma Nicole. And while there were, in fact, donuts in that episode... I can't say that I included that phrase all that smoothly. <laughs> I mean, you you took an opening, you uh-huh. found it, you or you found an opening, which I didn't even I didn't even notice that there were donuts <laughs> in the scene when I watched it. So that was a good catch, and then you know you took it, and you can only you can only go as good as you can go. I think it went. I mean, it wasn't. I think it went fine because it actually it is something fine. that you would say anyway. Fine's a good I feel word. like. 
Yeah. And yeah. I did notice the donuts. That was true. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally didn't. So there you go. <laughs> well, if you want to play Word Snappers with us, there are two ways you can play. Obviously, you can just listen along, but you could submit words for us to say. And if you submit words, we have to work them in, whether they're about donuts, Spider-Man, or literally anything else. All you got to do is check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and become a patron at $5 or up. And you can basically make us say whatever you want. Yep, yep. The more challenging, the better. Yes. (laughs) Watch us squirm. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we are continuing our discussion on the Spectacular Spider-Man today that we have been having a blast discussing. And as always, the episodes we'll be discussing today are streaming for free on Crackle and the Roku channel. Mm -hmm. That's a new one that I think they just put it on there a couple weeks ago. And I watched it on there today just out of curiosity. You do have to make an account, but you don't have to pay for it or anything. You can just watch it on your browser. And I assume if you have like a Roku box, that means you can actually watch it watch it on your tv like pretty easily so yeah so that's a, another another free option to watch this show and one more reason to watch it there's there's really no reason not to at this point because it's so easy to access absolutely and if you do fancy purchasing your media you can do so on most platforms digitally or find it on dvd and blu-ray in a number of different kinds of sets Yes. And I think it's especially worth mentioning for these two episodes, if you are just listening to our show for the first time, or maybe you missed it, the last few episodes we've done Spectacular Spider-Man, I've seen this show, but Doug hasn't. Yes. So this is technically a spoiler-free podcast up to this point. And so, yeah, so you're going to be hearing Doug's reactions not having seen this before and also not knowing what comes after or anything like that. So I think it's important for these two episodes because a lot of big stuff and big twists happen oh, here. Yes. And I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on oh, these uh, very interesting twists in these episodes. <laughs> one particularly yes. controversial one. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I guess I'll give a teaser and say that I'm very excited to talk about the first one. And I am, I'm, I'm not really sure what to expect, even from our own discussion of the second one. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess let's dive into the first one, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The first episode we're talking about is, of course, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Season 1, Episode 8, Reaction. And the synopsis per IMDb goes as follows. Peter Parker and Spider-Man learn that actions have consequences when nebbishy Dr. Otto Octavius becomes the megalomaniacal Dr. Octopus. The cause? Green Goblin. The effect? Mayhem. Whoever was writing that synopsis this time was having fun with it, at least, so I'll give him oh, credit for that. Oh, boy. Nebishy. <laughs> Nebishy, right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Somebody hey. is familiar or ready with their Yiddish dictionary, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? Like, like we said before, I'm not writing the synopsis. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're if you're empowered to do so, then hey, kudos to you. Yes. <laughs> um, the original air date for this episode is May 3rd, 2008. It was written by Randy Jant, 
who interestingly he doesn't really have a ton of writing credits um his only actual writing credits are as an apprentice writer um so not even a full-time staff writer um specifically just on season one and then just the beginning of season two of this show spectacular spider-man um he did solo write a couple of episodes including this one um but these are the only this is the only show that he's actually been a writer on otherwise he's just been a script coordinator he has been a script coordinator on men in black the series godzilla the series jackie chan adventures and the Stuart little series and that's that's it that's not even just a slice uh huh. that's that's his entire uh that's his entire resume so not sure what's up with that but um that's that's <laughs> surprising it really is <laughs> wow. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Especially on a show that um, is very like very uh, very like writery, very like writing yeah. heavy. So I mean, it's really cool hmm. to get your experience on a show that is so well written as this. Sure. The episode was directed by Jennifer Coyle, who has some pretty cool credits to her name. Actually, she's a producer and director on the DC Superhero Girls. I think that's still running currently yes and creating new content too it's quite the franchise nice nice yes. i assume i assume her being a producer probably means she probably oversees a, a big chunk of the whole franchise if not the whole thing i imagine so yeah um she also it was a producer on a number of things including the scooby-doo and the curse of the 13th ghost uh which was a movie and she's currently producing the animated harley quinn tv series hmm. director wise interestingly all of her credits are like adult animated comedies slacker cats alan gregory the good family and bob's burgers are her only director credits outside of spectacular spider-man oh my gosh i completely forgot about the show alan gregory right I miss the show Alan Gregory. I remember <laughs> I I really liking it. I don't know if really? it aged well or if I would like it now, but I remember really enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never watched it, but I like remember it existing, huh. and I don't think it existed for very long. <laughs> no, it definitely did not. Huh? What an what an interesting uh, <laughs> slice yeah. of credits there. Yeah, right. It's very it's very fascinating hmm. <laughs> for for both of the people in this episode. Oh, so. for sure. Yeah. Well. um... Okay, so characters spotlighted. <laughs> <sighs> you see why why I said in the last episode that I was excited for Doug to be excited. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going to need to take a few moments every once in a while just to breathe. <laughs> we finally see the debut of Dr. Octopus Proppa. We've been seeing much Otto Octavius along the way. He's been a key player in the sort of background ongoing story that we've mentioned as, as opposed to the foreground episodic stories. And this one is his foreground episode. This is where we get to see him sort of turn. And I guess like, I guess should we just talk about this version first before we dive in or should we stop along the way? I'm going to need some guidance. I think we can talk a little bit first because we've seen we've seen a lot of him up to this point, actually. I mean, yeah. I feel like more than a lot of the other characters that were like that we've had to hold off on yes. talking about, we've seen a lot of him throughout it. And I which I think is um is a real like upside to this to how they do this episode because he, he turns into Doc Ock very quickly in it. Yes. But it doesn't feel rushed because we've seen all the setup for the last eight episodes. So yeah. but yeah, so we can kind of talk about our thoughts. I mean, if if anyone's been following us they can probably uh, <laughs> glean what some of the thoughts are, but I mean, so having having kind of tracked his whole progression from 
from the first episode, this like kind of real meek and timid, adorable, like make him want to pee a little bit by scaring him, Uh Dr. Octavius, to like full on like most traditional super villain mad scientist Doc Ock, the way he's presented in this episode. Like, yeah. How do you how do you feel about that overall arc in general? Okay, so I'll start by saying that this is probably one of my favorite autos ever. Nice. Okay. I just really like him a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a big part of that is the way that he's portrayed um, by his uh, voice actor, who we should mention is Peter McNichol. Um, Okay, so he was John Cage on Ally McBeal, which I never watched, but I recognize him from. And Dr. Larry Fleinhart on Numbers, which I also didn't watch, but do recognize him from. He's a recognizable (laughs) guy. Yeah, yeah. He also appeared on Veep, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Grey's Anatomy 24, Chicago, Hope, and The Powers That Be. Among other things. (laughs) What I said about the last ones applies to these as well. I've pretty much never seen any of these shows, but I know this guy. (laughs) If you've seen Ghostbusters 2, he's Mm. in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude with the uh, accent. So he's one of those guys who just kind of pops up in like everything every so often and most people like i never really i never remembered what his name was Mm -hmm. (laughs) i only know it because we looked it up but but if you if you look him up you will be like oh yeah i have seen him in something oh i've seen him in commercials for something right exactly yeah and i i really like the way that he plays dr otto octavius otto is like a very short and stout little guy and Peter McNichol's voice for Otto, I think, is very fun because he is very meager and meek and a nervous, anxious guy. And Peter McNichol leans into that hard when he's Otto. And I like it a lot. I really, really like it because there are plenty of versions of Doc Ock, or rather Otto Octavius, where... You know, he's he's a scientist and he's a grown-up nerd and all that, but he's not necessarily the target of (laughs) mature adult bullying. He's still a confident scientist. He's still Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who's proud of his work. And this Otto isn't really like that. We see in this episode that he's sort of repressed. I think he, without really getting a whole lot of background information, this is a guy who's been programmed to um, avoid pride and avoid being the center of attention and is probably very uncomfortable with praise and sort of all those sort of uh, <laughs> like characteristic uh, <laughs> traits of somebody who just doesn't really even want to be noticed all that much, but secretly deep down inside wants to be noticed. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's so interesting to me because, you know, we, we've, I, it's, it's been fun to kind of bring up the show in retrospect and seeing like how things might have been kind of subtly influenced by it. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like the PS4 Spider-Man Doc Ock, it's not exactly like this interpretation at all, but I feel like it feels pretty heavily inspired by this yeah. in terms of pre-Doc Ock and post-Doc Ock, like how 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 the the way his transformation is and how the PS4 Spider-Man, like this Doc Ock, you can it's not as overt in, as it is in this show, but yeah. you can tell there's definitely some like repressed resentment and anger that just ends up manifesting itself once he be- fully becomes the supervillain Doc Ock. Yeah. And, you know, and prior to that, he's just, like, really meek and also has, like, a a big, like, negative connection to Norman Osborn, like mm-hmm. he does in this show. So, yeah, which so I think that's kind of cool. I think this is uh, – I really, I really like this version of Doc Ock, too. I think it's a really nice, like, way that they handle his dual identity 
in that he isn't it, it he doesn't just like go crazy all it does all he does is just like finally bring the things that are under the surface like to the surface that's that's him as doc ock like him being this like mad scientist is probably like maybe who he actually always wanted to be mm-hmm. or that his uh, that became his like persona because of years of having to repress like so much stuff like it, it that the way that like resentment kind of builds up I don't know. I feel like yeah. I'm rambling on that. No, but. no, no. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think I think that, you know, if you had just thrown this version of Dr. Octopus into the show and you sort of had it in a vacuum, my response would be like, okay, that's a fine Doc Ock. You know, like he's got all the characteristic traits of a Doc Ock. But the fact that they took the Otto Octavius version of him and pulled him so far from the fully unleashed version of Doc Ock, that really Mm. elevates this version of Doc Ock, right? The sort of alter ego aspect, the two sides of it. There's such a stronger disparity between the two that benefits the both of them. So, you know, if, if we look at all the versions of Doc Ock that we've talked about, there's a little bit of an unfair comparison in that most of them are Doc Ock when we meet them. But because this one's not, we get to see like such a huge swing in personality, you know, into the spider versus Doc Ock is Doc Ock. When we meet her, um, the nineties one is Doc Ock. When we meet him. And I guess the only other one we've really discussed is the, is the PS4 one, which is more similar to this and that we see the transformation. So, um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I guess all of that to say, you know, this auto is, is one of my favorites. This Doc Ock is, fine in a vacuum but elevated by the the big swing that Otto Octavius goes through to get to being Doc Ock. That's so true. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the other thing that that I think is interesting about is that his origin Doc Ock in general, his origin story is never usually that important. It's just like he was right. a scientist caught in a ex- bad experiment. Oh no, he went mad. He's a bad guy now. Or yep. he was always bad, who knows. This is really one of the very few times that they dive very deeply into like why he would take on this persona, why he would be a supervillain. And it's not like a particularly unique or new story. Like we've no. seen like, oh, they get pushed around a lot and then finally they just they just snap. Like it makes sense, but yeah. but using this kind of uh this this really well-known character, like this uh, very firmly established and iconic character and kind of fusing that story onto him makes it him a lot more interesting in this in this version of him yes um design let's talk the design um Mm. let's just pick everything apart so um (laughs) or i guess i always say that and that sounds so much more negative than what i mean let's (laughs) let's dissect um yeah so i love the auto auto design a lot it's it's easily easily by and far my favorite auto design ever and probably will continue to be i just want to squeeze him really hard And then, <laughs> and then the Doc Ock design is interesting because it's sort of a mix of different influences. You mm-hmm. have, you know, prior to transformation, you've got him in his white tank top, um, which I think is clearly influenced by Spider-Man 2. Definitely. And then he goes on to have a trench coat, Spider-Man 2, but he's still mm-hmm. wearing sort of a green jumpsuit underneath, which is a callback to older versions. And then... I guess the only thing that's really sort of strange for me is whatever his weird little separate eye goggle <laughs> I have no things idea. are. No idea. They were off-putting at first, but I've gotten used to them. Yeah, yeah. They're weird. It's just one of those things where it's like, it's a, yeah, it's it's cool and it fits with the design. It's just like, what am I looking at exactly? Exactly. Yeah, I, can't quite I don't figure understand. Out what they are. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, yeah, yeah. It's just, 
it's one of those things where it's just like it's obviously a stylistic choice like not yeah. a practical thing um you just kind of have to buy into it because it does make him look more evil mm-hmm. i get it it's just weird <laughs> yeah and i think that's probably all it's meant to be yeah um i appreciate the fact that they don't change his body shape when he becomes doc ock yeah. Not that I would expect this show to do that, but I I wouldn't be surprised by other shows doing it, so it is worth praising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 90s sculpted Adonis oh Doc God. Ock. That's the, that's the worst Doc Ock design. <laughs> oh, uh, in every sense of the word. Yes. 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 Um, and then I guess finally his tentacles. I have strong feelings in both directions about the tentacles. Yeah. The tentacles, I think, are probably some of the... I don't know, some of my least favorite design-wise, because they're very simplistic, but it fits with the show. Mm-hmm. But as far as how they operate, I love. I love when they allow the tentacles just absolutely absurd reach. You know what I mean? Like, make yeah. those tentacles as long as he feels like making them. <laughs> That's true. That's Because it true. becomes more menacing. It's like It's like a predator in nature. Like, he's just able to make himself bigger and bigger and bigger. Hmm. But it's really kind of an illusion, you know? Yeah. Well, and they and they don't really establish the rules of what his tentacles can and can't do. So right. it's it's totally within reason to think like, oh, they can just like retract a lot more than we're seeing. Who knows yeah. if they're made out of some special polymer or something that can expand and is elastic or something crazy. Like, yeah. we have no idea. Well, and I think they're allowed to do those things because they've kept the design so simple. That's true. Yeah. Which, yeah. And that's, that's, I agree with you too, where I'm sort of, it's a mixed bag for me because the design of it, I I don't like that they're just completely pitch black. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's not, I guess it's not terrible, but I just, I think like it's fine. Yeah. But I feel like there is something to the very silver, clearly metal tentacles that, that just works. And it doesn't work as much for him, but but the way that they move, the 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 way that they can like turn into blades sometimes, and yeah. things like that, like that's that's really nifty. Another thing that they don't over-explain, they just let yeah. it be. I love that this show is willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Because you know, yeah, th- there's there's no reason for Otto to have his tentacles operating like that, but you also don't really know what other experiments he's used them for. So mm-hmm. that they're pretty much you can just argue that like they're pretty much just this whole tool set yes. that he uses for everything. So of course they're going to have a saw on it because sometimes <laughs> he has to saw stuff. You know, right. you never know. Exactly, <laughs> scientists saw things, especially <laughs> mad scientists. Of course. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have dedicated quite a bit of time to Otto before we even gotten into how everything goes down. So any sort of final thoughts prior to diving into the episode? Um, if you want to hear more about Doc Ock, listen to our Doc Ock episode at the very early in our show. I think yes. it's our episode three, I believe. <laughs> yeah, and we talk even more about Doc Ock before getting into the episode we're talking about yes. in that episode, too. So I just yeah. love him. <laughs> it helps that every, every version of him slash her yeah. that we've seen has been really fascinating yeah. for completely different reasons every time. Yeah. And I guess uh, I guess we will we will make our determination on whether this supports our thesis um, yeah. once we get through the episode. But uh, you can probably guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's dive in. The episode starts with Spider-Man swinging through New York, searching for the escaped Green Goblin to no avail. Because if you remember, um, he webbed up Green Goblin, but had to leave to save a bunch of folks, so wasn't actually able able to capture Goblin. So. 
that's happening. And he is sort of taken off track by a car theft, but not any old car theft. Uh, There are two guys basically trying to steal an entire carrier trailer full of cars. (laughs) Good luck, guys. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like, good luck Spider-Man stopping that without completely causing havoc every which way along along the way. (laughs) Nope. It is, uh, it's pretty bonkers. Uh, it ends in like a massive, I guess, traffic jam. It doesn't really do it justice because like it's all collisions, essentially. <laughs> a car pileup, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's a fun enough scene, but uh, it, I don't, I don't really remember all that much from it. Yeah, it's it's definitely the I I noticed that when I was watching it, this was this is kind of the first time I felt like there was maybe kind of a filler scene. Like I yeah. hate using that word so much, but even um, you know, every this show has been so good and so tight with uh, every scene is referred back to in some way or kind of moves yeah. along characters, moves along the plot or just shows like a really cool sequence that to just to kind of show off. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't really show off anything that interesting and you know, it's not really like it it doesn't him stopping this or causing this car pileup or whatever doesn't really play into anything later. So it just right. really felt like a really true cold open essentially. Yeah. yeah, I was waiting for it too because we've seen things like this that eventually come full circle to play into the lesson that he learns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think this one does. I could not quite figure out or, or notice anything that that played in sort of yeah. cyclically like that yeah i think it just I, I think it was probably a product of not really having that interesting of a teaser like in the way that the plot was constructed sure. and so they were just like well we'll just throw a random <laughs> a random uh, action sequence at the beginning yeah. and then we'll get the episode started yeah uh, well, after that, uh, we kind of the episode proper starts pretty much. Uh, Peter arrives just in time to witness the end of a very close football game. He finds Mary Jane, who is also in attendance, and she has accepted an invitation from Flash, actually, which uh, Peter is not super happy about. Nope. But after watching Harry make a game-winning catch, he jumps very, very, very high to, to yes. catch that football. Um, so, hmm, interesting. Hmm. He caught a game-winning catch in the end zone. Peter kind of like he kind of fumbles through telling Mary Jane that he thought they were dating basically because you know she tells him that Flash invited her and and he's like but but I thought we were I mean you know when we dance together that means we're going steady or whatever right and she's like mm, no we're not going steady or something equally primitive she Love says that. <laughs> and then just uh, reaffirms that they're friends yes which is fun. I mean, it's it makes sense. This is just fun. Just wants to hang out with everybody, Mary Jane. And I appreciate the fact that she's just like not interested in being pinned down with anybody. Yeah, it's a couple of really great things. It's a lot of really healthy communication, which I appreciate because she does just straight up say like, mm, let me clarify what we're not and then clarify <laughs> what we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. But also it's something that makes a lot of sense. She's new to this social circle and she isn't the type of person that I think needs to be anchored to somebody to feel comfortable. So why would she do that? Yeah. You know, so it fits her, it felt, it fits the character that they are, have sort of established for her or are building for her really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love that she refers to dating as like something primitive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are we getting like polyamorous Mary Jane? Because I'm into that. it. 
I was just thinking that Polly MJ. I mean, it kind mm-hmm. of it kind of fits, and it fits what how you were kind of reading her in the last episode. She seemed like she might dance with everybody, yeah. possibly including the girls. I could see her dancing with the girls too. Yeah, so, for sure. You do you, you do you, MJ. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> After the game, Liz invites Peter to join everyone, as she says it, at Coney Island to celebrate the win uh, the next day. Um, and then when Rand invites Harry to a post-game burger run that night, Harry responds that he'll catch up with them later. When in fact, he's just staying behind so he can chug yet another <laughs> vial of globulin formula, which appears to actually be calming some kind of symptoms that are causing him pain. Um, they've never really clarified to this point what his relationship with it is. So this is kind of the first time we're seeing, or at least one of the first times we're seeing very, very clearly that this is having an actual sort of calming effect in some way. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting um, because we haven't really known what it's been doing outside of, I guess, just he rushes away to to consume it. So I guess you could you could sort of assume, but this this time they make it really really clear. His mm. symptoms are really really strong. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to read it as as like an addiction thing. Like, oh no, I'm feeling I'm feeling the uh, I I have to like have my smoke right now kind of thing. Like, yeah. So well, it's, they uh, they dive into that very explicitly later too. Right. So like if it's right. not if it's not something that like you necessarily recognize they 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 basically have a character like have a drug talk with him <laughs> yep <laughs> that's it's kind of their their equivalent to a very special episode i guess uh-huh. with, with harry yep, <laughs> yep. Well, Gwen, who's been waiting for Harry outside of the locker room, she becomes concerned when she sees the custodian lock up the stadium without uh, Gwen ever seeing Harry leave. So mm, <laughs> we're yes. starting to see the beginning of our very special episode. <laughs> yes, this um, this sets up a lot all at once. So we get to see the you know established trip to Coney Island. Um, we see Harry sort of react to his new social group um, and how whatever this globulin stuff is affecting that. And then we get the beginning of what will be an ongoing sort of mission on Gwen's part to confront Harry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of things they're establishing here. Yes, yes. Oh, now at Oscorp, now the real stuff gets started. We see a <laughs> tank top clad Dr. Ooh. Octopus, or not Dr. Octopus yet, Dr. Otto Octavius. And he's expressing concern to Norman Osborn that Spider-Man could be putting the pieces together to trace the city's supervillainous incidents back to Oscorp and himself, which is a understandable, um, understandable assumption. But of course, Norman's just dismissing him like he always does. He's, uh, he kind of dismisses it as like whining and points it out that it's a sign of weakness, which I think he's said before, like he's... He's yeah. pretty much just establishing that he sees Otto as a very small, weak little crybaby, basically, mm-hmm. um, which prompts like a very shocking, out of nowhere fantasy sequence. It's very quick, yes. but Otto just fantasizes using his robotic arms to um, physically assert himself against Norman, essentially by like picking up and slamming him against the wall in his, yep. in his fantasy. So, wonder where that's yep. going. <laughs> I know, right? I can't I can't imagine that anything bad will happen. <laughs> Violent fantasies? Nah. <laughs> he'll he'll recognize it and go to therapy and yes. process his issues and become a very healthy individual. We'll of see. Of course. Definitely. That's how all these stories go. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Norman snaps Otto out of this fantasy and basically leaves him to his experiments, but not before calling him Dr. Octopus, which we find out is a name that Otto finds very demeaning, which means Norman's certainly called him that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not a surprise. So Yes. Otto begins preparing an experiment in electromagnetism by removing this like safety key um, that's to ensure no accidents are going to happen while he's Which, present. Was that confusing to you at first? <laughs> I was like, why are they calling this a safety key? I guess I like to me, the safety key, I feel like you would put in. Yeah. Like as a locking mechanism, not right. take out. It seems a little backwards. It doesn't really matter, <laughs> but it threw me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a weird It's a weird system, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, so that happens. But it, and I, actually, now that I think about it, a really unsafe system. Because if you had to put the key in to... Or if... Well, let's see. Well, no. I guess it well, works better this way. Because but think about theoretically, it, like, he should have brought the key with him. Yeah. So if you have the key with you inside you know the premises Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about in just a sec then i guess the you know it it, you'd bring the key with you so it does make sense yeah that's true i I was thinking of it more like a car where it's just like when you have the car turned on like it doesn't i was thinking of it it doesn't let you like take the key out while the car is running or anything so that's how uh, i was thinking about it at first too but i might be convinced yeah yeah because yeah, I'm, I'm saying, imagining though. it like on one of those weird little like coily bracelets and like theoretically you should be like wearing it on your little coily bracelet while you're mm-hmm. like working on stuff so that the experiment can't accidentally go off. That makes sense. And you, you know, know what? And, and and it also makes a lot of sense because then like no one, the only people who have access to turn it on or off either way are the people who are in charge and who have the key. Yeah. Because we see later like the Oscorp workers like can't get in to get Otto out after it's yeah. happened until Norman unlocks it. So yeah, it's, Oh it's... no, carelessness. <laughs> oh, that's so upsetting. Otto. <laughs> Either way, Otto's, Otto's in the danger zone basically. Mm-hmm. And while he's in that containment area, a, um, very familiar, like green hand. Hmm. Uh, we don't see who it is. I wonder who that could possibly be. <laughs> a uh, green gobliny hand replaces the safety key. Basically, like puts another one in, or maybe the same one. I don't know. I think it's the same one. I think Otto literally just like took it out and set it down. That's why I think he needed to wear it on a coily bracelet. Yeah. Otto, <laughs> or on, lanyard. <sighs> well. He basically did this to himself then. So yeah. <laughs> he was bullied too much in his freshman year of college for wearing a lanyard. And so now he won't wear a lanyard that has oh, the key no. on it. He probably wore a fanny pack too. Oh, yeah. you can't do this to me. <laughs> oh, Otto and a fanny pack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. Well, now terrible <laughs> things are going to happen to him. Yes. Yay. Um, so the, the safety he gets put back in activates the experiment while Otto is in the containment zone, which of course like showers him with electromagnetic waves, which we see him go through his body and we actually like see his skeleton a lot yeah. <laughs> in the sequence. It's cool. It's really cool. And they do it in a, in a sort of stylized way that they, they kind of throw out any sort of compulsion to be anatomically accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they just allow his skeleton to be a character inside his body, which That's I true. really appreciate. 
Because then it looks cool and weird. It looks very cool. It, and there's, it's just, like, lit with, like, neon lights and, like, inverted colors and stuff. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, two versions of a skeleton that we see, like, depending on the angle and at what stage it is. Because there's one point I noticed, like, where his, uh, where the teeth on his skull, like, there's only, like, a couple of spare teeth on there. Uh, like, it looks like he's missing a bunch. But then we see it again later and it looks yeah. more like an actual anatomically correct skull. So, yeah. But it's just really cool that they just kind of played around with that. It, it makes it feel, like, a little more trippy in yeah. a way that I think works for it like if you're assuming that he's being bombarded with like radiation and and stuff like that so yeah it's really neat what's not neat and which what's kind of devastating while when he realizes that he's potentially going to die he laments i've been good oh i know there's so much there yeah there's so much there because This is obviously somebody who's made a very, very strong, conscious effort to be what he believes is good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what he believes to be good is obedient and modest and quiet and invisible. Yeah. Which is kind of messed up in a lot of ways. It's not like he's altruistic. Like, that's not what he means when he says he's being good. He knows he's creating supervillains. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. And I think it speaks a lot to how he's been thinking of all of these things where it's sort of like he he's probably been reluctant about being quote unquote good. Mm-hmm. He's just been raised or trained or or pushed in a direction where like he has to do he has to be silent, like you said, and be small and not react and not like engage with how he's actually feeling and just like let people treat him like shit and yeah but that's the only way he can be quote unquote good and you know we don't know where that comes from but i feel like that's a pretty relatable situation for a lot of people um especially anybody with like a lot of who maybe has like a lot of anxiety or like raised was raised in an environment like in a really strict like household or something like that or was really bullied as a kid where it's sort of like you come up with these coping mechanisms that are that can be very, very toxic and kind of twist like your entire personality where you're just convinced that you have to be quiet and small and weak (laughs) in order to exist. Yeah. I think if, if things go well and you have a support system that recognizes what's happening and whatnot, you might end up finding confidence and, and no longer measuring yourself based on how other people are treating you. But the other sort of outcome is what we're seeing in auto which is you just lean into it and and you withdraw and that's sort of your protective mechanism mm-hmm. yeah but then you repress everything <laughs> yep. yep and and he surrounds himself with it with people in in environments where he's it's reaffirmed like his weakness is reaffirmed where he would need to assert himself to like kind of fit in like he probably would be a uh he and, uh, he and Norman could probably actually work together pretty well yeah. if he asserted himself more. Like, Norman probably would respect him if Otto was, like, a dick to him all the time yeah. and, like, reciprocated um, reciprocated Norman's, like, assertiveness. But because he isn't, he just kind of gets treated and viewed as a failure over and over again, even when he does, like, incredible groundbreaking things, mm-hmm. you know, like, turn people into living sand and make, make like, rhino people. Oh, my but, gosh. But uh, <laughs> he's still just, like, that weirdo scientist who just fails at everything all the time. Yeah. Ugh, Otto. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but, yeah, we, we see this sort of, like, um, old-school sci-fi horror moment of seeing through his body and him screaming out and his little I've been good moment <laughs> and whatnot. Ultimately, this, as we expect, 
fuses the arms and uh, the harness that they're attached to to his body and his spine. And we actually see that. They show us that. So they don't really like leave that as a mystery. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's interesting is this show implies that there is a inhibitor chip, but they never call it that, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he puts, puts a chip into a, I guess, for lack of a better term, like a little like dock on the back of his neck, and it mm. ends up melting to him. But they never explain what that is. I just assume it based on Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if that's exactly what it was. I think because they don't specify it as that, I think it's more like that's literally just how, he, how he psychically connects to them. Like how, like that's basically how he turns it on. Like that's essentially the on switch because they're, we don't see them like moving or anything. I think until he puts the, the chip in his, in his little holster in his, in his neck. Yeah. So then when it like melts into his spine, it's not that it's like breaking an inhibitor chip and letting the arm AI go haywire or whatever. That's true. I think it's literally just, it's literally just that it's permanently on and like permanently attached to him is all it means. Oh, what if it's like, um, I don't know why I just thought this, but what if it was like, uh, it's, you know, the thing that connects the whole mechanism to his spinal column mm-hmm. and it has like little micro needles in it. And so he like sticks it in there and like, uh, what if that's what it is? <laughs> I mean, how else would it t- attach to his spine ah, like that? Probably. I know that's how they all work, but I don't want to think about it. <laughs> uh, Ooh. Yuck. Yeah. Yay. Well, <laughs> Spider-Man actually sees this experiment gone wrong from across the city because it 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 doesn't go as planned. It, it results in sort of um, an explosion, I guess, for lack of a better term. It's not really a conventional explosion, but I don't know how else to describe it. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, heads in that direction. He actually does. Oh, my gosh. Guess what? A slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, He slingshots himself across the city to arrive at Oscorp just as Norman actually returns to investigate what's going on. Um, He gets news that there's been an accident and returns. So the two of them actually arrive at the same time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And which I feel like the slingshot thing was another Spider-Man 2 reference explicitly because he makes it a point to call it out. And that's the thing that 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 uh, Peter does in Spider-Man 2, like when he's fighting Doc Ock, too. So, hey, that's pretty cool. But yeah, so they make it over there. We get a uh, so we get a, a number of, of really interesting things. We basically just see Otto's turn into Doctor Octopus. So when Spidey gets there, he sees uh, Norman there asking Otto if he's okay, um, and of course his voice kind of cues like the last conversation that Otto had with him. I mean, Norman was also the last person he talked to, so mm-hmm. kind of makes sense that this is just kind of reverberating in his like damaged, injured brain right now is just Norman's last words calling him weak. And Otto is 100% uh, honed in on not being weak anymore. So he attacks Norman just like he did in his fantasy. So when Spidey tries to intervene in Otto's attack on Norman, Otto's previous paranoia over being found out by Spider-Man takes over and he attacks Spider-Man too. So this is actually like a call back to when he was like, well, what if Spider-Man finds this? What if Spider-Man figures it out? He's going to figure out that I'm attached to this. Well, that sort of kicks into high gear. 
Um, as they begin to battle and as Norman and Spider-Man are sort of like trying to speak to the Otto Octavius side of this personality, um, Otto really starts to like reject that, right? Because he's not going to accept people talking to him the way that he used to. So he actually ends up claiming like basically a new life. He sort of has this almost like I've been born again into this new sort of persona and declares himself Dr. Octopus, which is yet another instance of a villain being named by somebody else. Yeah, this show really <laughs> likes to do that. They really love that, <laughs> which I guess makes sense because you know what it is. It's like a um, – it's kind of corny for villains to come up with their own names, but how yeah. do you write an origin story for a name that's existed for so long – so a nice default way is for someone to use a name sort of deridingly mm-hmm. and then for the villain to, I guess, reclaim that name. So I can see why yeah. they do it over and over again because yeah. then corny names end up being reclaimed names. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it is funny that two names have technically come from Norman Osborn. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Well, the newly self-christened Doc Ock um, begins to, quite frankly, like, whoop Spidey's ass. Um, Really just, like, having his way with Spider-Man in this sort of enclosed area. (laughs) But some kind of alarm sounds from Dr. Octopus's harness, prompting him to pretty much just sort of, like, scuttle off without any explanation. I think he literally says, like, I've got places to be, but we have no idea what that was or why he's running off. Right. Right. A couple things about this whole sequence. I love that, like, with Otto's new persona as Doc Ock, he just immediately starts using just, like, the most over-the-top villain speak, like, ever. Like, referenced it at the beginning. He's like, you silence, you imperious moron. Like, that is so, such, so old school. (laughs) But it fits this version of Otto so well. He's been trained to, like, not be to anything. And so, like, now that he's unleashed, he's like, I'm going to use whatever fucking big words I want. (laughs) Yeah, and he's, like, completely theatrical. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's great. I love it. It, (gasps) And it's such a fun turn. (laughs) It's a coming out story. (gasps) Whoa. Actually. It it really is, though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just, like, someone dealing with all of that repression and being told to, like, not be who they are, essentially, or... Or yeah. be different from who they are. And and then finally, like, he's finally able to embrace who he truly is and wants to be. Yes. And he, like, flourishes because of it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, good for you, yeah. Otto. <laughs> yeah, you go. Oh, yes, queen. Yes. The other thing, Spidey calls him Slinky. I don't get the joke or the pun there. Why is Why Slinky? <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be a reference to the tentacles? But, but his tentacles <laughs> don't resemble Slinky's. Right. Like, it like, almost <laughs> makes me feel like it was written for, like, a, a, an earlier design where yeah. maybe it had more lines or something. But Well, they're not obviously metal, like uh, Spider-Man 2's version. They're not, like, rubbery and segmented like Liv's. So it really <laughs> isn't referencing anything. Nope, he just calls him Slinky. <laughs> I mean, I d- hey. <laughs> I do like uh, Otto's sort of reaction to Spider-Man's, like, battle chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I love when he he's, like, screaming, like, Glib does not 
equal clever <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good the whole thing's so meta that too because like then spidey's yeah. like well my fans expect a certain amount of quippage with every battle which is funny because <laughs> he could literally just say that like it's a fourth wall yeah. break but it's also not out of character anyway <laughs> right it totally it totally works it totally makes sense um that this whole scene is packed with so much good stuff because i also remember towards the end of it when uh norman and like his the the oscorp workers are running out with him and you have the guy who's like uh well shouldn't we be like helping spider-man and norman's just like knock yourself out yeah and you know and they look back to like seeing two super power super powered beings fighting <laughs> each other and the dude's just like never yes. mind <laughs> i love background chaos so much yeah it's so really good, good. <laughs> uh well later that evening gwen does in fact find harry finally but he's blacked out outside of midtown high gwen insists that they talk because of this but harry ends up making this sort of like weird suspicious and quick escape trying to cover it up with, uh, hey, maybe come to Coney Island tomorrow, uh, and we'll talk then. Bye! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which Mm. is not going to satisfy Gwen Stacy. Right, right. What do you (laughs) think you're doing, Harry? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Like, I know that you're, like, forgetting about your friends, but (laughs) if you know Gwen even a little, that was never going to work. Right, right. <laughs> oh, poor Gwen. Uh, well, after that, at the Daily Bugle, we learn that Ned Lee has now begun to investigate the Green Goblin, uh, believing him to be connected to Spider-Man. Um, Robbie's like kind of hesitant to allow Lee to follow both stories because technically they're two different stories and right. doesn't really necessarily believe there to be a connection. And he wants to actually split the load between Lee and Foswell. But then we find out that uh, Jameson's son, John, is going to... Um, uh, well, we know already that he was going into space, but that actually is happening very soon, and he wants a reporter there to cover it, so he commands Foswell to go cover it. Um, so Robbie, left without one of his star reporters, does surrender to to Lee's wishes to pursue both the Spider-Man and Goblin story. Yeah, this is a really interesting scene, and one of two in this episode that really serve the purpose of setting up future storylines. Mm-hmm. So if you were to watch this episode like totally in a vacuum, there wouldn't be much payoff. Yeah. Which is really, really fascinating to me. It is very fascinating. And I noticed with, like, not even just with the John Jameson story, but the whole Ned Lee stuff. Like, check in with him between this episode and the episode and a couple episodes before it and then the one after it. We check in with him a lot, but we really never see any progression of, like, whatever his storyline is. It's always just, like, Ned's just like, I want to investigate Spider-Man. I'm Mm -hmm. going to investigate Spider-Man. Okay. Like, that's it. Which is kind of interesting like i don't i don't love it at at this point necessarily because like nothing is really happening with it and it's sort of like well do something then go actually investigate spider-man like get to the point (laughs) right but i see the benefit of putting it in here because then of course like you said he gets to set up all of these other things particularly with john jameson which we obviously see becomes important in the next episode so you know what it's kind of like we've been talking about sort of the foreground and the background of these episodes Mm -hmm. um and kind of when they're strong and when they're weak and in comparison to one another um but there's almost like this spectrum of depth like when you're in a car and you're looking out the window everything very very close to you goes by super fast and then everything sort of beyond the road is going a little slower and then everything in the background is going pretty much at a crawl That's Mm -hmm. kind of how these episodes work. Like the Ned Lee stuff is so far in the background that it's sort of going at this crawl as compared to, you know, the fight with Doc Ock, which is like right next to your window and speeding by. 
Yeah, yeah. And then like you have the 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 B plot like right after it with like with uh you know with like Liz Allen and, and yeah. all the school kids and stuff. But that's that is interesting because the way the show is structured there it doesn't feel like it's overstuffed with plot lines, but it kind of actually is. Like there often isn't just an A plot and a B plot. It, there's always like multiple little storylines happening and progressing every time you check in, in with them. Yeah. And not all of them necessarily have a lot of depth to them. Not all of them have a lot of things actually moving, like with Ned Lee. But it's still more like these episodes are always doing more than just like the foreground and the background stories. Yeah. Well, and no matter what you're moving and, and no matter what part of the story you're looking at, whether you're looking directly out the window or far in the distance, you realize you're moving. So... If you look at the Ned Lee thing each time, you're like, oh, that's right. We did get here. Like we did. Mm -hmm. We have been moving like that tree is further away from us than it was before. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm so attached to this metaphor, but I just think that they're really, really skilled at making sure everything at each distance moves at the right speed. Yes. Yes. It feels natural. There's no whiplash. There's no sort of bizarre moments of intersection. Everything kind of hits at the right speed. And you very rarely, if ever, feel like, okay, cool, can we can we get back to the action? Like, can we be done with the storyline and get back to it? Because you're already kind of invested with, like, every little storyline that they have going on, too. Yeah. They just pop into the background stories. They don't yeah. focus too... The further away that story is, the less time they spend on it, but they never forget it. That's what this scene is, the Ned Lee stuff. Yes, yes. Oh, that's so true. Mm. This is a very, this is a very well-written show. Oh, weird, hmm. huh? <laughs> <laughs> Play a drinking game with how often know, how right? often that comes up. <laughs> you have to waterfall every time I start diatribing about Doctor Octopus. Don't die! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, we do see in the next scene that Doc Ock returns to his apartment. We get to see his apartment. His um, apartment? Yeah, he crashes through his own wall because he no longer gives a shit about his own home. <laughs> <laughs> he is loud Which and is proud. True. Yeah, exactly. Tear down the walls, fuck the closets. Um, and uh, he, he even says, like, I can't believe I used to live in this something hovel. Yeah. I can't remember what adjective he uses. This anemic hovel. That's right. Anemic hovel. Gosh, so, so good. good. What a so good. freaking poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a scientist that, like, has a sense of, like, literary finesse. It's it's beautiful. Um, I don't because that phrase made no sense if you if you dissect it. Anywho, so he, he crashes through his own wall. And this is where we sort of learn what the alarm was and a little bit more of how his arms work. So he kind of laments the fact that uh, his arms and the harness that they're attached to need a steady source of power. They actually address this in the show, which I really, really like. Just because the arms are attached to him doesn't mean they have an unlimited power source. Yeah, that would be like, an enormous strain on his body. How much would he have to eat on like, a daily basis to like, metabolize the God. energy to control them? <laughs> so much, so much. Um, so I like that they address that. Um, he has this like big circle in the middle of the harness right on his belly, and that's the battery. So he has this huge battery pack that he has to replace. They talk about hours, um, and based on the timeline of this, I would say like these battery packs probably last like half a day. <laughs> Yeah. Which makes sense because he's never using the arms for very long. He uses them solely for experimentation right. um, and science. So right. he's he's upset about this because now they're attached to him and, and they're a part of him. This is where we realize, of course, that that's what interrupted his battle with Spidey. And he sort of begins to think, I should get a better power source. 
<laughs> but we don't find out what it is for a couple scenes. <laughs> Not yet, yes. Because yes. we have to spend some time at Coney Island for of a bit. Of course. So this is the following day. The Midtown students are celebrating at Coney Island. Um, or maybe it's the same. This is the same night. I don't remember. Is it? It, I'm really struggling know. to remember. Yeah, because, well, I don't know. No, it's it's got to be this. It's got to be the next night because this. Yeah, is, the football game was all night. happening. Yeah, this is all happening when Harry is talking about because Harry says to Gwen, it's going to be the next night. So, yeah. yes, the following night, the Midtown students are celebrating at Coney Island. Harry, like, oh my God, everyone is always ignoring Gwen, like constantly all the time. So Harry, Harry just pretty much ignores her when, when she arrives, she tries to talk to him and he's just like, oh, whatever. I'm going with my friends. Sorry. Bye. I'm going to go eat a bunch of corn dogs with my bros. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And so when Peter arrives, um, Gwen does like kind of plead to him to kind of help her out to talk to Harry. Uh, but Peter is just really unconcerned about it. He's like, oh, Harry's like the poster child for happy. Bad friend, um, bad friend, <laughs> really, really bad friend. <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> We're seeing kind of a uh, kind of a theme here with uh-huh. uh, how Peter treats his friends in this show. Uh-huh. And of course, of course, as usual, right when Gwen is going to like explain what the hell might be going on with Harry, uh, Liz Allen shows up and pulls Peter away. And of course, you know this is more important to Peter than anything uh, in his friends' lives, right? Because he is a horror hormonal teenage boy correct which at least <laughs> uh, is a consistent through line <laughs> it is very consistent yeah i mean it's none of this is out of character peter's nope. a f- peter's a peter's a dummy mm-hmm. we've seen that and very oblivious and very selfish yes and it's very in character and uh so we get a we get a, a nice but uh, you know considering the circumstances kind of annoying little date montage with liz um uh. <laughs> One cool thing about it, the when they're in that little like horror ride, there's mm-hmm. a gargoyle right at the entrance, yeah. and that's very clearly designed to be after Broadway from Gargoyles. I was wondering, like, I don't have enough of a since I didn't watch it, I don't have enough of a memory of the designs to know if it was like how direct a reference was, but I felt confident that it had to have been a reference because it was so heavily featured in that shot. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a spitting image of it, so oh, okay. definitely, definitely intentional. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, so they, it's a very, it's so a super typical little, little montage. They're like on rides together. They're playing games together. They're squirting each other with, with uh, squirt guns and Ugh, Peter. Bad music in the background. <laughs> oh God, it's so cheesy. It's so, so cheesy. Yep. I don't hate it because I feel like it's very like intentionally like kind yeah. of teen drama teen soap teeny bopper type stuff it knows exactly what it is yeah and and you know of course it's happening like right after we've seen peter ignoring his friend's problems so i think it's very clearly like not you're not meant to be like super excited for it and also liz is still like dating flash so like it's shitty all around yeah they don't i mean i don't think they would want you to like this date you know what i mean like we're not supposed to be rooting for at least in this scenario i don't believe we're supposed to be rooting for the peter liz dynamic especially like you said since he just ignored gwen right like this is on the tail of being really shitty to his friends <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it's not like it's not liz's fault necessarily no. or anything and she's not i mean liz it is, is not weird. the bad guy here i mean not at she's all. Yeah. dating someone else but they're also technically just hanging out right she's right. still not the bad guy i don't think. yeah 
No, yeah, I agree. It's just like a, 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 a crap situation. And also Peter like wipes her face in his face with a Spider-Man mask by accident. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're, Peter, you're so bad at this. You're so bad at this. Uh, wow. Wow. Again, consistent and in character for him, though. He's yes. not very good at this whole dual identity thing whatsoever. <laughs> no, he's not. But it, Which we yeah, will also right. see in the next fit. episode. <laughs> no, he... Yep, yep, yep. No, he's not. Not good at all. <laughs> but it creates for fun little moments. I, I feel like this would be... These would be the types of moments that would be really fun to write. You know, to mm-hmm. figure out, like, what dumb thing could he do that almost exposes who he is? Right, um, right. So I do think that's... that's it's fun. Even though it's corny as hell, it's really fun. Yes, definitely. And then after this is going on, the moment that, you know, you kind of expect to happen, Flash and MJ are hanging out and they bump into Peter and Liz who are hanging out, which uh, as MJ describes it, it is awkward. Which is funny <laughs> that she just calls that out. I'm so glad that she does. Yeah. Because like, she, doesn't, she doesn't give a shit. Like, she doesn't she's not have, invested she's, yet. Like, who right. in this group is she invested in yet? She's just, like, right. feeling everything out. Yeah, these are all people that she's just, like, hung out with a little bit. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Oh, boy. Well, right after she declares how awkward the scenario is, uh, Liz spots <laughs> Liz spots a little teeny tiny Dr. Octopus traveling so across, across uh, skyscraper rooftops uh, heading towards Tricorp. Also, I want to take this moment to jump back a moment because we did not address this. But on the topic of teeny tiny Doc Ox... <laughs> <laughs> right before his accident that made him Dr. Octopus, uh-huh. I love the moment that you see Green Goblin reaching for the key and there's two little screens and there's like a little silent like Dr. Octopus, reali- or I guess Otto Octavius realizing what's happening and he's like pleading at the camera. Do you remember <laughs> oh, yes. this at all? He's like, no, yes. no, no, yes. no. <laughs> yes. But it's it's teeny tiny and like super soft because it's like, little teeny tiny animation i love it so much <laughs> yes <it's laughs> anyway so they they do it again for this moment where he's like jumping from skyscraper to skyscraper mm-hmm. naturally peter's like oh uh i should probably do something about that and sort of gets better at his excuses kind of yeah yeah it's like it's actually a pretty decent excuse that doesn't it doesn't and that doesn't make him look like an asshole either right. and pretty reasonable yeah his it's excuse, at least relevant yes yes his excuse is that his stomach hurts because of all the sugar they're eating which we saw him eating lots of cotton candy makes yes. sense um and he runs away and is like don't follow me which why would you want to follow him so yeah. i'm gonna put my brains <laughs> totally out don't follow me right right <laughs> totally makes sense which and then after that that's uh, according to flash peter's always um always leaving him holding the bag which uh, the girls are not happy with him about appropriately. <laughs> okay, but also explain to me that line because flat like what? <laughs> because because Flash it's and an Peter awkward... don't hang out. Well, yeah, the always part doesn't make any sense. That's dumb. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it's just like he's Typical he's abandoning Parker. this awkward situation before they can like sort it out at all. Yeah. Um, and now Flash has to be the one to take the brunt of it, even though like as if they the two girls don't have agency. But that makes sense for how Flash would be thinking that yeah. he has to take responsibility and, and handle all of this. Yeah. And TBH, it makes sense a little bit with how this episode ends up being written. Mm-hmm. The women aren't all. The women are treated inconsistently yeah. in this one, which we I guess we can get into a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's very fair, actually. So the, I guess this is just one of the lower moments, but there are some higher moments too. So it's a little all over the place. Yeah, 
So yeah, Peter ends up dashing off to find Dr. Octopus. We end up seeing first where he ends up, obviously. And he ends up at Tricor, where he was heading. He ends up speaking with a Dr. Twocky. Um, and in this conversation, we learn that Otto actually worked at Tricor and was working on a long-term power source uh, there. He eventually was fired, it seems like. I don't know if he says exactly that, but that's certainly what happened, right? Yeah, I think that's the that's the gist. Yeah, because they end up taking his tech, um, which I think would make him especially salty if he's burned by the company. And on top of that, they keep yeah. what he was working on. It makes sense. If he's a big pushover, he's not going to fight for his tech if he was like let go or laid off or something like that. Like he'd just be like, well, I guess they have my stuff now. Oh, no. Oh, well, exactly. what was Exactly. Right, right. So, so, yeah, they kept his tech and that's why he's there. He's there to, to retrieve the tech that he was working on, which just so happens to be this long-term power source, which Dr. Twaki calls the Megalopack. <laughs> an interesting name yeah yeah megalomart okay hmm, interesting yeah <laughs> so uh so yeah obviously dr octopus demands that twaki direct him to where the prototype is and because dr octopus has saw hands uh twaki complies <laughs> <laughs> i mean what else are you gonna do uh-huh as Doc is, uh, Doc Ock is retrieving that megalopack from the uh, aptly designated Vault Eight. Uh, by the way, this is Episode Eight. Oh, Vault eight. Doc Ock, eight limbs. I'm There's dumb. a couple of other octopus references to. I didn't even catch that. I mean, yeah. the Vault Eight. Obviously, I did. He he mentions it, but not the Episode Eight part. Yeah, yeah, genius. I love it. Huh. But anyway, um, at Vault Eight, Spider-Man arrives to snatch it from beneath Otto's tentacles. Um, Spidey escapes by webbing Doc Ock's face, which is a thing that happens like pretty consistently in a lot of uh, interpretations when he fights Doc Ock. Yep. Um, but he webs his face. He he does like talk to Doctor Chwaki to like be like, "Hey, I know this is a device that he wants. What does it do?" Doctor Chwaki's like, "It's a battery, basically." And Spidey's like, "Oh, duh! Like obviously." <laughs> <laughs> which I think is kind of funny that he's just like, "Oh yeah, I should have actually of figured course. that out on my own." <laughs> Remember, Peter, you're smart. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, but he does. Um, okay. So he confirms. Yeah. So he, after he confirms what the device is, he assists Spidey in creating a plan of action, which is essentially to play keep away with uh, with a battery. Um, since Ock has his current battery, which theoretically would be running out soon um, if he can just kind of uh, just keep him keep him out and about until that battery runs out, then he'd be all set and then just not let him get the new battery. So the chase commences. And of course, the fight intersects with our background story at Coney Island. Indeed. We do get another quick cut to the bugle just to say that the shuttle launch was successful. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally all that scene is. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Next. (laughs) Um... So during this whole uh, Coney Island sequence, oh, I want to point out while we're talking about Doc Ock, like during the action sequences, yeah. I really love the uh, the theme music that they have for him. Like the very like string heavy, I guess like cello or violin. I don't know the difference between the instruments, but it's a really like string heavy theme that they have for him that really like fits. It feels like his tentacles moving Ooh. with all the music that they play here for his action sequences. Yeah, I- I'm bad at noticing that type of stuff, but uh, I believe you. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Take my word for it. 
So that's going on. Uh, Doc Ock is, uh, continues to pursue Spidey through Coney Island. Obviously, there's lots of destruction, threatening and threatens all of Peter's friends because that's just how these things go. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a couple of bits like uh, Gwen falls while all the crowds are kind of running away from the rampage. We see Harry just vault over her, doesn't even acknowledge her, which mm-hmm. part of the course for her friends at this point. But MJ does stop to help her, even though they I don't think they've really interacted much at all up to this point. Nope. So she stops to help her. But before Ock can strike either of them, Spidey intervenes and saves both of them at once. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Didn't. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more damsels in distress in this episode than there have been ever to this show in this show to this point. Like yeah. literally every single love interest that he's ever had is in danger in this one episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's weird though because the the episode treats them that way too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This this show has set itself up in such a way that anybody could be in danger, but this episode for some reason in particular doesn't just put them in damselly positions. There's mm-hmm. writing to sort of infor- like reinforce their damsel status. So at, like when, when Spider-Man swings in to save both Gwen and MJ, he makes some comment about how nice it is that he's like swinging through the air with two ladies, basically. Yeah. I don't remember the exact wording, but it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And then he has another little like thought remark when he after he rescues Liz too, that's very on the same lines. Like yeah. how great is it that I got to rescue Liz Allen? Like It's just yeah. weird because the show hasn't like behaved that way thus far. Like Peter has, so I guess mm-hmm. that's sort of how that works. <sighs> yeah. But even when Peter is acting a certain way towards the girls he's interested in, they're never really passive in those moments. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So it's a little weird to see. It's a little jarring because it seems a little different than usual. And I also, I was disappointed that we didn't get like a moment. The, the, okay, so the, the way that this is constructed where Harry vaults over Gwen, like the person that's supposed to be her best friend, just completely ignores her and runs away to save himself. And yeah. then Mary Jane, this totally new person who's never talked to her, like does go down to rescue her, which is a nice moment for, for Mary Jane that she's the type of person who would do that. I really wanted that to be like an, an initial little bonding moment between the two. Like this is their like, not meet cute. That's not the right word for it necessarily, but like, it's fine though. I'll accept yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Where it's just sort of like they, they get their like crazy situation where they like, this is, this is might be the foundation for a friendship or something yeah. like that. But we don't get that. She just bends down. Mary Jane bends down, kind of offers a helping hand, but then, then not, neither of them move. They just both stand yeah. there and scream when Doc Ock comes after okay. them. I'm pretty sure I have a way to, to I shouldn't say fix, because the show doesn't really need fixing. But in these moments, I think there are things they could have done to improve. I, I think I have the one for the Liz one later, but I think I just thought of one for this too. Basically, the way that they've done it in the episode is Mary Jane stops to help Gwen, but we never see her help her. So basically what the show has done is created a two damsels for the price of one situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I understand that their rationale is probably like, yeah, but Spider-Man is the hero and he saves people. Okay, fine. I think what they should have done is had <laughs> Mary Jane uh, get down to help Gwen and then have Spider-Man basically like, I don't know, like give them a heads up and then toss them like a, I don't know, a garbage can top, a sign, something, anything that Mary Jane catches and then uses to like hold off a tentacle while 
Spider-Man swings by and kicks Doc Ock in the face. Like something like that would have worked because it would have given them agency and still would have given Peter sort of like a heroic moment. Yeah, that would be cool. And I mean, it would kind of fit in with Mary Jane up to this point being a pretty like cool, strong character who just kind of goes with the flow, not just in social situations, but also when supervillains are attacking. Right. I also don't know where this goes, but in many other series, it would have been an opportunity for Spider-Man to call out MJ Catch and her be like, huh? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't know my name. Um, yeah. It's probably a little early for this. And like I said, I don't know how this develops. So I, I don't know if it would be appropriate in this context for that to be the case. Um, but it could have been for Gwen. Mm-hmm. Like Gwen heads up or something and then they both look. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I, I just, I also, not just for like the optics of like feminism, but also <laughs> also I wanted it, wanted it to be more for MJ and Gwen because in the next episode, we have really nice moments where like Gwen kind of confides in Mary Jane and the episode even also like comes not to just like jump way, way ahead, but the episode even kind of comes to the close with like the three of them yeah. like kind of being there a little bit for each other in, mm-hmm. in their kind of like sad situation with Harry. And it's sort of like, if they had this sort of initial moment of meeting between Gwen and Mary Jane, that kind of shows that there is like a little bit of a connection or for a friendship there. I think that would strengthen the next episode a lot because then you have kind of that foundation there. Whereas the way that it stands, Mary Jane just happens to like be around. And Gwen's like, well, yeah, stuff is happening. Mary Jane's like, okay, yeah. like, you know, yeah, no, I would like that a lot, too. I think that would make a lot of sense. And it's a very small moment, but it's, you know, this show has capitalized on small moments before, so there's no reason they couldn't yeah. have given this a once-over and, and tweaked it slightly yeah. in any of the ways we've mentioned. The bar is very high for yeah. this show, is essentially <laughs> what it boils down to. Yeah. So after that, after the saving of Gwen and Mary Jane, the battle between Spider-Man and Doc Ock continues. Um, They really sort of try to maximize the environment. Um, Spider-Man launches a tray of caramel apples at Doc Ock's face, (laughs) which is funny. He rides an ice cream cart like a skateboard just because uh, he uses Doc Ock's tentacles kind of like a tetherball pole and, and swings around them and ties them up. (laughs) <laughs> to which Doc Ock responds by Frisbee tossing a sign with a ma- like a mustachioed guy on it at Spider-Man. And finally, before, you know, they, they progress, uh, Flash attempts to intervene and help Spider-Man. Because as we know, Flash is a Spider-Man fanboy. Spider-Man says like, no, don't, don't help. Don't do that. <laughs> um, calls him fanboy and then declares that Flash isn't pretty enough to save twice. <laughs> I like that. That's Which is scary. a funny line. It's <laughs> a really funny line, yeah. <laughs> so once uh, Doc Ock kind of like recognizes Spidey's moral code, like obviously, oh, he rescues people. Yep. <laughs> this is kind of how he comes up with this plan to, uh, he, well, he figures out, also, that he that Spidey is trying to just like wait out Ock's power source, which understandable. He's smart, so he catches on to all of this. Yeah, puts, um, and then kind of puts those two things together, where he tries to take advantage of Spidey's moral code by capturing Liz Allen, who just happens to be standing there. Yep. <laughs> this to me is the more egregious foul because he literally just saved Flash. He literally just saved somebody. Yeah. And Doc Ock chooses a total rando. Over the person he just saved. Take Flash instead. <laughs> what are <Yeah>. you doing? <laughs> it's it's weird because it's like, I get it. It's, it's you know, because this is this is um, the biggest momentum that we've had on the sort of Fla- or, uh, Flash, uh, Liz, Peter, 
infatuation thing that's been going on. Yeah. So it's like from a like very writery standpoint, I get it. It's, it's sort of like you want Liz to be the like major damsel in distress because Peter has just made a lot of moves forward, made a lot, made a bigger connection with her than than he ever had before. And so it makes sense, but it's just like it's too it's like a little too cute and a little too writery, you know, like it's I think too it's, obvious almost. It's, I think um, it's using something obvious without doing the work to build up to the moment, you know, like it's okay to yeah. do things that are obvious or that are cliche, but build up to it. And I, I, I understand that they were building the relationship with Peter and Liz, but they, there's no buildup within the battle or confrontation to really place Liz where she is or to have Doc Ock interested in taking her like yeah or have him notice or or rather from Doc Ock's perspective there's no investment specifically in Liz Allen and I don't think for me at least saying like oh you won't let anyone get hurt is like enough of a reason to like wipe that away I still yeah. think it should have been Flash. Make Flash the damsel. I mean, yeah, I, I I would be down with that, and it would still it would still work because I feel like again jumping ahead a little bit, but when we have the Liz and Flash like breakup later on, yeah, I'm assuming that a, that part of like that was probably prompted by like the near death experience that happened, and I could see it. I could see that like it would still play out the same way, just with the the other person having the near near death experience that kind of prompts this like this you know revelation that they have to break up. So yeah, yeah it would have still worked with Flash. I totally agree. But men can't be damsels in distress. That can't work. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it would have been good though. After just saying that he wouldn't save him twice, he's trying to convince, he... <laughs> he tries to bluff to Doc Ock and say that you know. He can learn to let people get hurt. It would have made sense if it were Flash. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Just, just, and then they could have had a nice little like like a uh, nice little like um th- a callback. Like at the end, he has to save Flash again, and then he's like, "Well, I guess you are you are pretty enough to save twice, or something like yeah. that. Something better written than that." And then F- Flash has a fanboy moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've, uh, or I guess I I've derailed us enough to uh, to lament the treatment of the women in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's totally fair. I mean, this show is still miles above like what the '90s show and yeah. Amazing Friends were doing. But and this is an but, anomaly. It really doesn't happen before this episode or after this episode all that much. That's what makes it so disappointing, though, is when it does happen. It's just like we know you're better than this. That's Aww. true. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the after uh, Ock captures Liz Allen, um, he takes her to like a roller coaster to use that pretty basic heroic dilemma where it's like either i kill her now or you know you can give me the give me the uh give me the not a bomb what is it called power source yeah battery battery that's the b word megalo pack the megalo pack (laughs) obviously why how could i forget that yes but yeah but a trade-off so it's like you can either rescue the girl or you know or or run away with the battery Mm -hmm. um he even points out that he has an hour of juice at least and kind of points out to him, like, how think how much damage I could do in one hour. Yep. Which I really like. Very, uh, very, very super villainy. Kind of like that, the Watchmen, like I did it 35 minutes ago kind of thing. Where yeah. it's just sort of like, I'm a super villain. I'm onto you. I am smarter than you. Your plan was never going to work in the first place. Right. You're reacting. I'm proactive. Right. Right. Which I dig. So he throws Liz on, he break, well, he breaks a hole onto the roller coaster track, throws Liz onto it, which like she catches it. Um, but the roller coaster is actually like 
propelling towards her. I, I appreciate the detail that the people on the roller coaster like see that there's a girl hanging there and they're all clearly terrified uh, and horrified at the possibility of hitting her. That is a nightmare. I mean, it's obviously a nightmare for Liz, but that is also a totally separate and distinctly unique yes. nightmare for the people riding the roller coaster. Yes, where like you were you were powerless to potentially caught like witness and kind uh-huh. of sort of cause someone's death. Like, oh god. Uh, there uh, are without going into a lot of detail, there are like real life stories of people on rides that like witness people dying from those rides and i cannot imagine i like you cannot have to just, imagine you have to just stay on the ride and continue to yeah. be on the roller coaster for the next like 30 seconds or so and ah. just that's like the worst place to be Ugh. after you've experienced some kind of trauma like terrible. oh god so terrible i will say like in all fairness like if liz allen hung on i think she would have been fine <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay still horrible. yeah yeah, you know. Either way, uh, Spidey tries to tries to counter Doc Ock's plan by throwing the uh, the megalopack like as far as he can towards the ocean. So Doc Ock's gonna have to go after that, so he can have that extra time to save Liz, which obviously he does. The roller mm-hmm. coaster roller coaster doesn't kill her. That'd be pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> I know you all were wondering if she got <laughs> she got splatted. <laughs> Told you this show wasn't very good to its women in this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, jeez. But, uh, but, you know, Spidey can only throw up it so far. So Doc Ock does eventually get to the shoreline in time to catch the Megalopack. And, and uh, he's not that far away. And actually, he's uh, close enough so that Spider-Man is able to get to him. So right before he's able to replace his old battery with it, Spidey, again, uses his spider signal offensively. Hey. So awesome. He uses it, shines it right in Otto's eyes to like blind him just for a second and then uses that opportunity to get both batteries and then just like kick him real hard, knock him out in, into like an octopus themed ride. Actually. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, that's you know, fine. It's, it's totally on the nose, but that's what I want from it <laughs> in those cases. <laughs> yeah. But oh my God, I love using the spider signal, like and actually using it for something not... Not, like, dorky or just as a light. Like, I mean, he is using it as a light, but he's using it as, like, a light in battle that he can use, like, offensively. It's so cool. Yeah, he's not using it as a tell. It's not like, I could sneak up on you, but instead I'm going to alert you to the fact that I'm here. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. So this makes so much more sense. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think during this, I think it's during this final battle right before... Right before he, uh, Ock goes after the uh, the pack, uh-huh. when they're fighting each other, there's a game station in the background, and the, yeah. and the name of the game is just Hit the Freak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt, I really felt like they were going to do more with that. Me too. Me too. <laughs> they probably planned to. Um, yeah. And they probably just, you know, for time, they probably cut whatever they were thinking of doing with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I noticed that too. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, as the police are apprehending Doc Ock, uh, Peter returns to the scene because, of course, he's been Spider-Man, so he's been nowhere to be found. But he returns to the scene and finds that Liz Allen and Flash Thompson are breaking up. Sally screams incredibly loudly about the situation. Um, (laughs) As usual. Wow. (laughs) Uh, And Harry credits the breakup to Peter, actually, and praises his, quote, ruthlessness, which, of course, Peter's, like, grossed out by. Good job. Uh, Yeah. Good reaction, Peter, and decides that he might be able to clear things up. 
bad instinct. MJ stops him. Good MJ. Um, and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and then Gwen actually steps in and acknowledges that like this might not be the best time, but it is a time and an opportunity. Uh, Peter, we got to talk to Harry. And Peter's like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. So they decide like, yeah, let's do that. And then Harry's gone. And I guess they can't call his cell phone in 2008, <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe they, they try after the scene ends. Well, let's see answer. if this was a football game. No, I was going to say maybe they don't have, you know, weekday minutes, but uh, no, this would be weekend. Yeah. Even in yeah. 2008, their call should have been free nights and weekends. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> no, they call him. They call him after the scene ends and, he, and it goes straight to voicemail or something like that. Yeah. We'll just go with that. That's Seems fine. very hairy at this point. Uh, yeah right it wouldn't even ring out he would just hit the button and it would go to voicemail after like a ring and a half yep yep Mm -hmm. totally screening their calls oh speaking of we do see him at the osborne residence um he's just kind of relaxing in bed like 100 just chugging that vial like he just like (laughs) literally is pours it into his mouth from like above his face (laughs) we see so much chugging in these two episodes my god and he chugs it in different ways like sometimes he like sucks it out of the vial which is gross sometimes he just pours it into his mouth it's just like dude (laughs) come on uh, have a little t- respect <laughs> seriously i wonder how it tastes i'm very um, curious about that i'm sure they don't give it like a, a like if it's just an experimental formula yeah it probably tastes bad it probably tastes terrible but harry's into it <laughs> yeah yeah he loves it <laughs> a little too much <laughs> well he's chugging this vial of course and presumably within earshot i think that we sort of established or at least you and i have have decided to believe that Harry probably can hear these conversations because mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he interrupted at a pretty convenient or inconvenient, depending on how you look at it, time and the last time. Presumably within earshot, Hammerhead is confronting Norman Osborn about the Green Goblin. Um, and he's basically accusing Norman of having some kind of responsibility due to the fact that Goblin is using Oscorp tech. Uh, Norman counters by saying that there's no way Goblin is actually stealing from Oscorp. He's not giving Goblin any tech. And then the episode basically ends with Hammerhead and Norman agreeing that regardless of what the case is, they need to stop the Goblin as soon as possible. And then we get this sort of like old school uh, end card. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of cool, but (laughs) I was, hey, it's not the spider signal. Yeah, I like it better than the spider signal because basically, like, you see that there's a mask that Norman is looking at that looks like really similar to like the very classic Green Goblin yeah. type style um, design. Suspicious, right? <laughs> um, they and they kind of like it's it's uh, it's a close up on that, and then it. Um, oh, how do I explain this? Like the the mask like gets smaller in the frame, like and goes more get smaller as it's like kind of as if it's retracting into the background yeah and then there's this really like you said like very old school kind of like um i don't know it's like it's it's that it's it's what makes it look so old school i think is because the frame rate is a little lower as the web appears but the webs themselves are also drawn like really um they're not like a perfect like symmetrical web they're really like broken and and kind of like clunkily put in in a way that really feels like a 60s type of of outro imagine if 101 dalmatians did a spider-man title card Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's That's kind of what it reminds me of yeah i dig it i like i like that much more than just the spider signal in the sky that turns into a shape big time (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
And it feels more ominous, too. I, I yeah. dig that a lot. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I guess they had the opportunity, given their setting, to do something like that, and they don't always. So mm-hmm. I'm glad they took advantage of that. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we've got a couple of faces of the episode for this one. <laughs> <laughs> very, very early in the, in, the, uh, in the episode that we talked a little bit about how that like opening action sequence with the cars was just kind of a, like a little bit filler a little bit. Um, the one thing that I thought was important to pull from it is that towards <laughs> the very end when Spidey like webs up one of the guys who's driving the car to pull him out they just for a split second draw his eyes all both in the complete opposite direction yep. his left eyes looking straight up his right eyes looking straight down and it's great so i think spidey really like did some damage to this guy yeah. apparently like actual brain damage Serious from the looks of it drama <laughs> <laughs> it's yep. rough also this guy has a very cool haircut he does. Yeah. Yeah, it is very cool. It's like kind of a I guess it would be like a spiky haircut probably in real life, but yeah. it looks good. It looks good on him. Yeah. The other one for both of these episodes, Gwen's look is very important and kind of instrumental to how things progress. And I think she's I think she's did it once before if, if and they've also referenced it a bunch, but figured faces the episode. These are the episodes where I think it's important to point out her fabulous look. Yes. So, yeah, let's give it up for Gwen's look. <laughs> it is important to highlight the look. The look. Yes. Um, I guess overall, where does this, I guess, how does this episode do for you? Uh, it's weird because I think it's, um, I like a lot of the stuff that happens in it, but I don't, I think it's one of the weakest written episodes that we've seen so far. Yeah. Like I compare it. So the ones, my least favorite favorite ones i guess were probably the uh the shocker and salmon episodes like running back to back but those episodes weren't bad by any means they were actually really really well written and well constructed i was just like a little bit less interested in some of the plots that were happening in it they just it was a lot of setup happening i think but they were still very well written episodes i think this one is like the reverse problem where there's a lot of really cool stuff happening i really love otto's story and his character progression and i appreciate some of the high school dynamics that are happening but it's kind of it's not particularly messy it's just feel it it feels like a bar lower in this show in terms of some of like the cliches and tropes that they use and and the very it feels in like the way that it's uh very very writery like we talked about where it's like Peter gets attached to Liz and then she ends up being the damsel and the main damsel in distress in the exact same episode for no real reason other than she was, they spent some time together in this episode. So it makes it a little bit more like of an emotional investment. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's too easy and it just doesn't feel like it was written with the finesse that these episodes normally are. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I obviously am excited about this episode because we get Dr. Octopus proper. Mm hmm. But it's not actually like, I don't know, it is the foreground stuff that's going on, but it's sort of sharing the foreground with a lot of other things. And where we typically describe this show as being incredibly tight, this one I wouldn't describe that way. Um, There are just a few things that feel a little loosey-goosey, a little bit like they were left um, to, uh, I don't know. I hate to say one draft too few because I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. There are just things that they could have done in a cleverer way that would rise up to the level that we are used to seeing. 
Yeah, and it's it's yeah, that's that's true. It's one of those things where it's sort of like it's still miles above a lot some of the episodes that we've watched from other shows. Oh yeah, it's just this particular show, like we said, just set the bar really high. It they, put its own bar way up there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean like. <laughs> If, you know, if, if this ends up being the worst episode of the show writing wise, it's still not a bad gig. Like it's still a really, it's still a really fun episode and has a lot of really, really, really good stuff in it. Yeah. Well, cause it does, it sets up a lot of things really, really well. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that's happening in the distant background is actually very tight because they tend not to spend a lot of time on it and, and make the most of those moments. Um, so those things are done really well. I actually think the things that this one doesn't do well are just sort of strange. And I, I guess I already yeah. talked to what those were. It's just the treatment of women in this one is just like really uncharacteristic for the show. Yeah. And yeah. I think if they had addressed that, it actually would have tightened the surrounding elements of the of the episode a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Definitely agree with that. Yeah. But but I do really like how, uh, how Ock's story kind of um, yes. paid off finally. I think in <sighs> his characterization and everything was definitely... I mean, expected that to be our favorite part of the episode, but yeah. it really is was my favorite part of the episode for sure. It was very, very well handled. I would never encourage this show to do less because they've they've shown that they can responsibly handle a lot at once. But I do think that if this episode had decided to dedicate the entire story to just Doc Ock, I would have been over the moon about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like because I I do think that the character transition from Dr. Otto Octavius to Doc Ock and the way that the writers wrote uh, that sort of disparity and the way that Pete McNichol performs that disparity between the two characters is really something to witness. Um, And so if we had gotten a full 20 some minutes of that, I mean, I don't know that we needed a full 20 some minutes of that, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I can't imagine that it would have gotten worse if we had gotten more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, definitely. Definitely. No. They're like two pretty distinctly different parts of the show. One of which I loved and one that I was like, that's all right. That's fine. Right. Eh. Right. (laughs) Eh, eh. Cool. Well, hey, we got another one we can talk about. This will be this will be even more interesting to talk about. We've got the Spectacular Spider-Man Season 1, Episode 9, The Uncertainty Principle. The synopsis per IMDb, while Colonel John Jameson struggles to land his damaged space shuttle, Spider-Man struggles to defeat the Green Goblin, who also threatens Hammerhead and Tombstone. This one originally aired on May 10th, 2008. It was written by Kevin Hopps and directed by Dave Bullock. Both of them had written and directed a couple of episodes in the past already, so check out some previous episodes to hear what we have to say about them. Um, but as for major characters introduced and spotlighted, there really are none. So really production-wise, <laughs> we really don't have much to talk about for this one. So yeah, we're playing with the pieces on the board. Yep, yep. This one it pretty much is a lot of payoff in this episode, actually, for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot of conversations about a lot of things in this one. So, yeah, um, <sighs> for before, better or worse. <laughs> well, okay, so I'll, I'll start by this is a really difficult episode for me because yeah, one thing that's been fascinating about watching the show for the first time and watching it for the first time while examining it and dissecting it mm-hmm. is sort of getting really in the weeds about what. I think the producers think I'm thinking while I'm watching it. Yeah. And this episode really sort of humbled my expectations moving forward. 
which I think is probably a good thing overall, Mm -hmm. um, but was a really weird experience watching this episode for the first time. So, you know, we've been getting this story building up and it's, it's humorous to go back and listen to our last episode (laughs) to hear myself sort of like praise certain elements of the writing that aren't, they're not worse in retrospect, but I I might have been giving them more intention than they had, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. I won't use the word credit because I think they were like the writing tends to be worth the credit it is given. But I, I it was very, very bizarre. And I guess I'll address those things as we go along. But it really was strange. It was really strange to watch this and be like, oh, um, everything was the way that I should have expected it to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I guess, I guess the best way to explain it is moving forward. And I, and I hope this isn't disappointing to hear mm. moving forward. I think I probably need to expect more conventional storytelling than I was ready for. Sure. I, I do have some, some thoughts that I want to get to at the end because I have, Having having been able to like sit on it for like ten years and then come back to it now <laughs> for this podcast, I have some ideas for what I actually think that they might be going for in this particular episode that I think are that I that I think make me um, feel better about this episode a little bit. Yeah, like and of course not and you know and just this episode, like not thinking about whatever goes for you know going forward, just in terms of like how this episode is instructed and what they're doing. I think and kind of how it ends. I think they're doing some interesting things. I think they're they're also I think they are still like very aware of like what you as an audience member are thinking in this situation. Um and I think they're kind of playing with that a little bit in kind of weird ways that may or may not work. I mean, I think in a lot of cases they don't work, but I think they are yeah. doing interesting things with how they present it. And I think it also worth is worth noting that to my memory being online in 2008, this was a controversial episode for sure um because I think a lot of people were were disappointed at the time. And, and, you know, for understandable reasons and for more than one reason. So Well, and I want to say, like, I'm hesitant to really declare whether I liked it or didn't like it um, solely in those terms. Because I think it's really important for myself and others to allow storytellers to take you on a ride and mm-hmm. to be open to that ride. Mm-hmm. So what's difficult for me is I've been building all these sort of I don't even want to say expectations, but I've been opening so many doors and possibilities when maybe those doors don't actually exist. And I don't Mm. know how much credit like should be placed on me for being like, Oh my gosh, Harry's mom could be the villain. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I've been looking at the shocker situation and the tombstone situation and saying, Man, if they could do that, they could do anything. Mm-hmm. And and conflating could and will. Like, just because mm-hmm. they can subvert my expectations, I think I was sort of expecting them to subvert my expectations. Which really is setting myself up for a fall, because they're not going to make every single character and every single villain different than what we expect. Which makes sense. Otto Octavius is still going to become Dr. Octopus. Yeah. 
So I, I don't know. I don't know if that even made any sense. No, I think that makes a, a lot of a lot of sense, and I think that really plays into like how how we just like the general we like should and often do treat like expectations and let our expectations kind of get the best of us in some yeah, ways. Yeah, and I don't want them to. So I've I've been trying to like process this episode as much as possible coming into this. Sure, um, but I guess I should be like full disclosure. I have not fully processed it, so I'm not even yeah. sure quite where I'm falling yet. Yeah, well, so I think that's fair. Hold my hand, you know. Yeah, <laughs> well, and it is. It also, I think, it also is like worth saying that the subversion of expectations. You're talking about like they didn't subvert your expectations because they set up Harry to be the goblin. But you could also argue that the fact that they went with Harry being the goblin, not Norman, and the goblin being like tied into his addiction isn't any isn't really that much different than like the Shocker Montana situation or the Tombstone Kingpin situation, where the expectations being subverted are like your expectations based on the comics and your comics knowledge. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it is still it's a different situation because they set it up differently. Obviously, it's not out of left field, but it does it is still like weirdly still subverting certain expectations just not the expectations that you had in the context of the show which is a very strange situation to be in i think i might have a clarified way of 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 describing it okay doc ock i never expected them to subvert my expectations because i didn't think they were doing anything actively to prepare me to be subverted Mm -hmm. whereas i feel like with goblin there were so many things along the way that forced me to question the identity of who the Green Goblin was. Mm-hmm. And so three episodes into that, or two episodes into that, or however many episodes into that, my speculation is like rampant. Whereas with Doc right. Ock, it wasn't. Right. Like the way that they built up Doc Ock, it was never a will he, won't he. It just, it sort of was. But for Goblin, they specifically built up this mystery. And I guess you're right. Harry being Goblin is sort of a subverted expectation um, because I guess the conventional thing would be to expect Norman. But I feel like they did way more work to, gosh, what's the term for it? Mislead is not the term I'm looking for. The misdirect. I felt like all the misdirects were making us look at Harry first. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it felt like Harry was the diversion, but then ended up being the actual thing we were supposed to look at. I, I don't know. Isn't that in itself kind of a subversion? Because they're, they're, they're making it so blatantly obvious that you're like, well, obviously it can't be him because he's obviously the red herring. And then he ends up ends up being the thing at the end. I'm not saying that that I mean, definitely maybe, necessarily but that works. But does result but... in a satisfying outcome? I think that's that's a fair I think that is a very fair like assessment of yeah. it. So that's what I'm yeah. wrestling with. And so so I'm I'm very open still on this episode. I'm I'm actually I'm very curious as we go along to hear your memory of the reaction to this because I don't sure. know that I was expecting it to have been a controversial episode. Mm-hmm. I was very much ready to put all of my feelings on my own unfair expectations um with, sure. with some you know attempts at uh objective critique along the way because <laughs> sure. i do think there are some things that they specifically did that set me up um sure. but we'll get to it as we as we go through i guess cool cool well this will be fun um <laughs> <laughs> so let's just get started and we'll see where this goes yeah so the episode opens with a close-up on a werewolf mask that is very nicely drawn and really cool. Indeed. And I like it. And it is because this is 
Halloween, or at least the night before Halloween is how it's setting up. So Spidey's kind of preparing for his wild Halloween night. He's still occupied with the thoughts of the Green Goblin, who is still out there. But elsewhere in space, John Jameson and his crewmates prepare to return to Earth the following day, which didn't he like just didn't he just go into space like a week ago? Like, yeah, aren't most I feel like most space shuttle things last more than a week. But (laughs) yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm more fascinated by the fact that some of these episodes are like two episodes to six hours and then these two episodes apparently occur over the course of a week i I don't know (laughs) yeah well the the timeline of the show is really interesting because the timeline is very intentional and i'm not you know i guess this isn't like a big spoiler or anything but like you can you can track like what what time of year it's supposed to be like throughout the entire show and it was very intentionally plotted out to be like okay this is going to be like this semester of Peter's junior year, this semester of Peter's junior year, this semester of Peter's senior year, this semester of Peter's senior year to like lead up to graduation essentially. Yeah, which makes lots of sense. Yeah, so but but then it makes things like this weird where they're obviously trying to kind of like construct their their setup and payoff and everything appropriately. So we know that that the first episode started at the beginning of the school year, so it had to be like either the very end of August or the very beginning of September. Um and then by episode 9, we're at the end of October, Halloween. Yeah. So, like, the whole show is taking place over the span of two months, which makes it, like, okay, obviously, John Jameson, no matter what what kind of way you try to twist it around, he hasn't been in space for very long, and it's still really weird that he has only been in space for a few days, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. What were you doing up there? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know what? Maybe they were testing a new shuttle. Oh, interesting. Maybe that's I could all see it that. Was. You know, I could we see gotta that. get there, we gotta stay there, and we gotta come back. I'm cool with that. Actually, I like that. I think that's uh, I think that's a good uh, good headcanon, actually. Yeah, I buy that. Cool. Well, yeah. So they're in space. They're talking about. Uh, they talk about Halloween and you know how they're excited to be back in time for Halloween. Um, and then an asteroid collides with them. You know, of course. Like, you know that, that's what happens in space is asteroids collide <laughs> yes. with your space shuttles. <laughs> Shit's just <laughs> knocking into other shit all the time. Yep. <laughs> um, it damages the heat shield, which made me think of Firestar. Oh, <laughs> yep. Where is she? She could fix this. Yeah, she really could. <laughs> <laughs> Be back in a jiffy, boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it damages the heat shield and threatens threatens their safe return. Um, so, of course, back on Earth, Jonah and the Bugle, um, hear, seeing this, the news of this, um, they're kind of uh, watching the reports of the shuttle collision. And they're also awaiting news from Foswell, who is assigned to cover the mission, as we established in the last episode. And I think, I don't know if it's here or maybe later, they explicitly say that like it's he's in California, mm. which makes a lot of sense, unlike in other Spider-Man shows where they just have like space launches in New York City. Um, <laughs> I don't know that they do space launches in California, though, do they? Oh, I feel like it's all Texas and Florida. Yeah, that would make more sense. I don't know. I'm California not sure, though. California's makes, huge. It makes significantly more sense than it being in New York, at least. Okay, very fair <laughs> point. <laughs> very, very fair point. <laughs> so, yeah, they've they've set that up. They were, we're pretty confident we're going to get the payoff from the last episode's uh, little bitty updates here and there. But in the meantime... Green Goblin does finally appear and attacks a limousine occupied by Hammerhead. Um, and when Hammerhead attempts to tackle Goblin, Goblin gasses him, ties him up, and hangs him in some sort of refinery with large cauldrons full of molten metal. 
it's kind of the first time we've gotten one of these uh, like warehouse <laughs> locations. Yeah. Uh, but even still, it's more specific than the '90s warehouses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a nice, nice elaborate. I guess it's like a like a maybe like a steel a steelwork yeah. thing. Like it's like the the end of Terminator Two kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, which I dig. I mean, I like it's a because it's it's one of those things where it's like it's not the the location doesn't really like matter or necessarily play into like how Spidey defeats the Green Goblin right. or anything like that. It's just a really cool place like to have a set piece, basically. But it is also sort of a, I, I don't want to say classic, but it is a setting we see in other Spider-Man media. That's you know, true. They've, they've had fights like that. There's, there's a location like this in PS4 um, that is heavily featured. Oh, um, yeah. And I think they had a, lo- didn't they have a location sort of similar to this in... The '90s episodes with Hobgoblin. Oh, uh, oh! I was thinking of the rocket testing place. Well, in the Well, there's that. Yes, <laughs> I don't remember if they had a steel mill and Hobgoblin actually, but I don't remember a lot of stuff from those two. I episodes, just feel like so. there were smokestacks. Maybe I'm just there were smokestacks, so there was some kind of factory type yeah. thing. So it very well might have been. But yeah, it's it's the sort of image that I was able to easily place into a New York setting. Like I can imagine it on the map of the PS4 game. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> I know where that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I appreciate that. I don't. I think this might be the first time that we've seen Hammerhead actually use his hammer head. Like it I, definitely I is. Yeah, I'm pretty and, confident and I, that it is. Which is cool, like that, because it's not really presented with any kind of fanfare. He just does yeah. it, you know. And and I like his remark where he uh, he tells Goblin, "Keep laughing, Kermit." Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, do you feel like John DiMaggio went like full John DiMaggio in the last two episodes with Hammerhead? He, or was he that just me? He is playing him differently than he was at the beginning. Not like not like super like annoyingly differently or no. anything, but just like a lot more. Yeah, he's, it became a he's, lot more obviously him. Yeah, yeah, he's I a think. lot more, more, a little more like heavy-handed with the line delivery. Again, I don't mind it. I think he actually like. Yeah. I think it's a fun performance. But oh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely turned up a bit for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he he ends up hanging him up uh, basically with chains in this weird sort of refinery. Um, Goblin actually attempts to bring Hammerhead to his side, uh, which isn't weird because we saw him do this with sort of petty criminals. But mm-hmm. Hammerhead is <laughs> actually has this cool response where he basically says like. I'm never going to work for you because I, I don't fear you. I'm not afraid of you. You can't convince me. Um, I don't fear anyone that I don't have respect for, and I have no respect for you, <laughs> which I really like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot, too. There's also a really cool and important, I would say, conversation that begins with this scene um, when – Hammerhead is basically saying, you know, I I am only loyal to Big Man because he's the only one I respect enough to fear or fear enough to respect. Goblin tries to sort of, I guess, discredit that respect and fear by saying that he's, quote, peeked under the Big Man's mask. Basically to say, like, I know who he really is. And then even explicitly says that it's L. Thompson Lincoln, I guess, as a way to say, like, Hammerhead, you don't need to be afraid of that guy. But Hammerhead then counters and says, no, Lincoln is the mask. Tombstone is the real guy, which starts this interesting conversation about masks, um, both figurative and literal, and what they mean and what's real and what's not. You know, uh, is a physical mask the real mask because it's physical or is it sort of bringing something forward? Exactly. We'll see more of later in this episode. Yep. Yep. 
Um, meanwhile, at Midtown High, the students are also following the coverage of the shuttle landing. The anchor explains that John Jameson must land the shuttle manually if they can survive, which is probably very hard. Yep. <laughs> I think they say, like, they have barely any chance. I, th- I feel like, I don't know the exact quote, but I feel like they make it seem like, this is nearly impossible. Expect them all to die. Okay, bye. They reiterate, that, they reiterate that a few times in this episode. A lot of characters have little remarks about, like, yeah. they might not make it. They might not make it. They're probably mm-hmm. not going to. Right. Which is cool that they're being so, like, real about it. I think that's pretty... Uh, pretty nice yeah. um, not well it's not nice it sucks that they're gonna die, <laughs> but you know <laughs> right it's it's a, a strong attention to detail yes yes absolutely because it, and all it does is is help kind of enhance the feeling of like success when uh when jameson does make it like yes. when, when you know when the shuttle does land and they don't all burn up in the atmosphere so right <laughs> well gwen sees harry walking through the hall and chooses again to confront him and hopefully for real this time get him girl yeah, seriously. So she sees him retrieve a vial of the globulin, globulin green from his locker. Um, it's actually it's it's a it's a good uh, it's a good interaction because she sees it happen and she's like, "What's that?" And Harry tries to play it off as like it's this new soda, you know, <laughs> the new new soda that they give to people in glass vials. <laughs> sure. If he had said it was a cocktail, I'd believe him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The new soda. But soda, Harry, come on. And Gwen, of course, is on to him. She's like, oh, then um, I can have a sip, right? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> um, which, you know, Cap chatches Harry, essentially. And she insists that he needs that she knows what's going on, or at least assumes that she knows what's going on. She thinks it's some kind of drug or something like that. So she insists that he stop taking whatever it is he's taking and seek help. But of course, Harry being Harry at this point, he just totally brushes her off and rejects her concern and tells her, um, now this is really interesting. He tells her that the globulin is helping that like, you know, that's why he has a great GPA. That's why he's so good with football. That's why he's like making all these friends. It's literally solved all of the problems that he spelled out to Norman, like in an earlier episode Mm -hmm. and any side effects such as freaking blackouts, like passing out in the middle of the day. Blackouts. Just blackouts. Side effects include death, <laughs> seizures, suicidal ideations. <laughs> but um, he's alter egos. Alter egos. Yeah. But uh, any side effects are worth it because you know he has friends and he's popular now. Yeah. Yeah. He can catch footballs. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't pass out on the football field one day. Hmm. Ah, Harry. <laughs> um. But and, uh, and there's a brief little moment while he's uh, before he drinks the contents where like. He, uh, the, the, um, vial is like kind of right in front of his face and then through the liquid, it like reflects his face as the green goblin's face. Um, (sighs) (laughs) this was, uh, okay. This to me is one of those, I think, objective critiques. I don't get why they did this in this moment. They've spent two episodes before this leading up to a character reveal and I get that they're technically not confirming that he's Goblin, but I don't know what else you're supposed to take away from it. I I still, I, okay. I think what they're doing with this moment and many other moments, like they're making it, they're playing a weird game that I, I don't think is ultimately successful, but I kind of get the idea. They're playing this weird game where it's like, okay, we know that you know that Harry is probably or potentially a Goblin or will become one at some point. We know that you know the meta of it, right? But we're going to make it so blatantly obvious that you're almost like not sure if we're making it obvious on purpose or not. 
it's so so stupidly obvious that you're almost that you're convinced that it can't possibly be the truth and that it actually is the truth like again like i kind of said earlier i don't know if it works i just don't think that's a game you can win and i think i figured out why it for me it doesn't work because the the alternate option right if they're playing the meta right which is Mm -hmm. something i'm trying to with this episode specifically i'm trying to like tamper my understanding of their sort of playing with the meta but if i'm going to lean into that if you're playing with the meta there's two options. There's Harry and there's Norman. They're sure. not laying it on nearly thick enough with Norman. They're never making Norman a viable alternative, which mm-hmm. I, I see what you're saying, right? It becomes one of those things where it's like, surely, and I think I might have even said this, surely they wouldn't make it this obvious that he's Green Goblin. I straight mm-hmm. up said, I don't think he's Goblin because they're laying it on too thick. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know that that's an actual surprise in the end when it's like, oh, nope, but he is. I feel like it would have worked better if they did this with both of them. But I don't know because I wasn't thinking that until 15 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird game. And I think it's one of those things where it's like they're trying to remake the feeling of mystery that was in the comics when you legitimately didn't know who the Green Goblin was when he first debuted, right? So how can you sort of have a mystery when everyone knows who the identity of this character is because it's so well-known in the cultural consciousness? So at least if you kind of have some doubt over, like, if they're following the the, the real narrative or not and how much of it are they following it, and you're kind of questioning, like, well, I know that they can change stuff sometimes. Are they going to change it this time? Well, it looks like they are changing it, but maybe they aren't. Like, I feel like it's not so much, like, that they're leading you one way or another so much as that it's just, like, you're not really sure what they're doing at all or what's being set up in general. You know what I mean? I guess. I guess then my my really sort of like straightforward reaction to that is I I think they failed then because I think they did lead me very very clearly to one path um, and I don't think they did enough to make me question that path I was questioning it because they were leading me so strongly you know sure I think that's fair and 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 what's really strange is like I was trying to think and and I think this actually sort of complicates things even further I was trying to think okay if I'm somebody who doesn't know, right? If I'm somebody who's watching Spider-Man stuff for the first time, like a kid or um, somebody who just isn't familiar with these stories, what does the story look like to them, right? Because surely not every single one of these episodes must be, can be, should be written for people who already know everything. It's nice when they consider that, but they don't have to. Um, So I was like, well, okay, let's think of it from that perspective. But then I'm not sure, again, what the payoff is for somebody who is wondering who the Green Goblin is and then gets this moment where you see the Green Goblin only in Harry's vial and not anywhere else. You know, like for somebody who doesn't know the identity, was there a mystery or was the mystery only there for those of us who knew that it's typically Norman? That's a, yeah, that's that's a, I think that's a worthwhile observation for sure. So I'm just really confused by it. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of those things, that, I mean, I've talked about it before in other scenarios where it's sort of like if you're writing, writing when you're writing these, um, these iconic stories and these iconic characters that like a lot of people know, not necessarily everyone knows, but most people know, like when you have these references or kind of playing on the meta of it all, like are you also writing it within the world of the show or are you just 
writing it for the meta of it all. Mm-hmm. And, and and it is it is a real struggle, and I don't envy like having to kind of write in that world and trying to write surprises into into um, a narrative of something that everyone usually like knows the truth about, you know. I guess that's what I I would love to talk to them to say like how much of a reveal was this meant to be? Like am I putting too much on the fact that it was supposed to be a reveal or sure. was it really truly written to be a surprising reveal for the audience? Yeah, and and the thing too is that I think like there's also the other there's also another filter of this where if you're if you're not treating it like a if you just kind of disregard the mystery which you shouldn't because obviously there is a they're they're trying to play up a mystery right because to I a think they're extent. directly making you think that way yeah they are making you think that way but there is a very character in world centric filter that you can look through where you are seeing the first like personal tragedy that we're seeing in this show for Peter specifically, because this is the first time that someone very close to him has, has deeply intersected with his life as Spider-Man. And they kind of call it out at the end that it's like a really questionable, happy ending. Like he technically beats the bad guy and solves the problems, but it's not really a happy or satisfying ending for the characters in the show. Yeah. And then, and it's reflected with us where it's not a very happy or satisfying ending for us either. And I think that's the thing. I think that's one thing this episode does really well is that like, it's a really, it's really disappointing, but because it's disappointing for everyone involved and very tragic for everyone involved. And it just fucking sucks all around. Well, and I will say that my confusion and at least reactionary disappointment doesn't apply to the, the story that they've written for Harry. I'm not disappointed in what they did with Harry. Mm -hmm. Like, the actual in-universe journey that that character takes, that's not disappointing to me. I like it a lot. Yeah. This is solely the meta conversation of what was I supposed to feel versus what I did end up feeling, how much leading was there and, and wasn't there. But to be like to be as clear as possible, like I do actually really like what they did um, with Harry and his motivation and all that. And we'll, you know, we should probably get there, but um, <laughs> I, I do like all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I guess that was prompted by, by you know, when you were talking about like stripping away some of that stuff, that's the exercise I've been trying to do in like processing this is like mm-hmm. how much of my own expectations can I strip away and just appreciate the stories of the characters if right. not necessarily the way that those stories are structured, because you can distinguish the two, you know, like um, a character story is happening regardless of whether or not it's being presented to you, if that makes any kind of sense. Sure. Like Gwen wasn't on screen for a long time, but mm-hmm. she still existed in the universe and things were still happening to her. Right. So we can be disappointed that she wasn't there, but I'm not disappointed with her character or, or, you know, yeah. the story that she, the trajectory she's currently on. Sure. So that's sort of the difference for me. Sure. I think that's 100% fair. Yeah. <sighs> well, I guess we should get on with it. Cause we jumped yeah. ahead a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that one, that one little shot like prompted. <laughs> a but very I, I think it's such an important discussion. shot. <sighs> it is. Yeah, okay. it is. It, is. <laughs> it, it was really, I guess the reason for me that it went, we just went down that hole is because that's the moment in watching the episode where I was like, wait, no, 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 no. Like you've set up so much. (laughs) So that's where it started sort of, um, I I don't want to even say falling apart for me. That's where it started 
that's where I started questioning everything that I had been expecting. Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> so that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cool shot. It is a cool shot. It's a very cool shot. Yeah. Um, so after that happens, um, you know, Harry walks away just as Peter arrives in the hallway and he's like noticeably uh, cold to Peter. Like, doesn't even acknowledge him and kind of does that whole thing where you bump the person that you don't like in the shoulder purposely. Yep. And it's uh, not nice. Nope. Um, Gwen, without saying anything, just gives Peter the look. <laughs> and that's look, it man <laughs> that is the end of the scene we could probably infer what's going to be happening next yep exactly um <laughs> well instead we cut to tombstone in his tower <laughs> and we get this kind of cool moment where tombstone is attempting to call hammerhead but the phone rings nearby and it rings nearby because goblin is present in the tower and he stole hammerhead's phone <laughs> 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 Which actually isn't weird because, uh, you know, he stole a bunch of stuff uh, from Hammerhead, it seems. <laughs> Basically, what happens in this interaction is Goblin says, hey, I've got your boy and I've got this flash drive that your boy had. And on that flash mm-hmm. drive is a bunch of evidence that could totally take you down and incriminate you. So mm-hmm. if you want that because I don't have it with me, you got to go to this location at this time and come and get it. And Tombstone's like, that's a trap. But I kind of need that flash drive and my boy. (laughs) (laughs) So that sets up Tombstone's motivation in confronting the goblin, who otherwise I don't think he would really need to take all that seriously. Right. Sort of like this annoying gnat until he has Hammerhead and this flash drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like like how just like... This it's so played so straightforward where it's just like you know it's a trap. He even has like the whole like he's a little bit tied up pun that he even calls out as being like you know it's an old favorite. Yeah, but it's just so like everyone knows exactly what's going on. Like this is nothing. This is not a unique plot. But what other choice does he have? Like what other choices Tombstone have but to go with it anyway? I actually like that because it's you know like there are so many times in any sort of media where it's like this is a trap. We can't fall for it okay, well, what else are you going to do? <laughs> like, right, right. You know? And so I like that all the characters are like, oh, this is such a trap, but like, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. I'll play. <laughs> well, meanwhile, Spider-Man swings across town when he spots the goblin. The two engage in a classic airborne confrontation, resulting in a ton of pumpkin explosions, probably a lot of dead people in the buildings nearby, mm-hmm. and punches landed. Oh, hey. I definitely noticed the sound that the pumpkin bombs make this time. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because you asked me last time that I noticed or if it's Mm -hmm. just ratcheted up. There was a lot more in this one, I think, than there were in his first appearance for sure. There definitely were more explosions. But also I noticed the sound that the sort of like batarang thing. What are those called? What do we call them? Oh, God. Yeah, that's a good question because we we call them batarangs. I don't know. Pumpkin blade. (laughs) Uh, but those make a noise too, and I I actually really like the noise that those make. Yeah, yeah, they choose really. I, I like they choose such such like non traditional sounds yeah. for his his techniques, and it really gives him a really cool flair. Mm-hmm. And again, also I'm sure it probably helps with like S and P rules for, and everything. That's true. Yeah, the, I guess to actually acknowledge what they what sounds they're making. Because uh, I don't know if we ex- if we really described it last time because I had no idea what you're talking about. The pumpkin bombs kind of make like a human screaming noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the sort of like blade things make almost like a bat screech sound. Yeah. Um, and they're very obviously not the noises that those items make, which makes it really disconcerting. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that's true. It, like it makes it feel you feel more like weirdly uh, like off put by yeah. it and just kind of uncomfortable about it. Yeah. 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 But I figured <laughs> I'd point out that I know what you're talking about now. Yes. Yes. I dig <laughs> and it. I, I like dig it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a really cool detail. So anyway, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. Goblin also shares with Spider-Man the same information about Hammerhead's flash drive and tells Spider-Man to find him. Um, and, you know, Spidey's pretty sure it's a trap again. But hey, <laughs> what can he do? He wants to get information about the big man. Yep, yep. So after that confrontation that they have sort of like through the streets of New York, Peter ends up making his way further towards the Osborne residence and actually kind of arrives um because he thus far still hasn't talked to Harry, but he sees Goblin again. And this time he sees Goblin specifically going to the tower, which is weird because they just were talking. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah. instead of like taking his costume off to talk to Harry, he keeps his costume on and makes his way as Spidey into the tower that the Osborns live in. When he's in there, he sees Norman arriving inside through a secret passage and decides in that moment wait a second, that means Norman must be the Green Goblin because look at all these masks. And I've never seen that door before, you know? And he uses Oscorp tech. So this is like him putting all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. The pieces, I think they should have been more strongly laying this whole time. Uh, they, but don't, that's... Um, they don't ever explain what that door is in this episode, do they? Like, do they ever point out like... No. Do they ever, Norman ever like, oh, this is, that was actually my bathroom or whatever so no. it's just it's still just a secret passage that just exists that's yes. unexplained. and that's kind of why i think that the misdirects needed to happen in both in like for both characters at sort of an equal frequency or degree mm-hmm. um, because i think that could have been a really strong moment you know what i mean if he had mm-hmm. if if spider-man had gone into that secret entrance and found like a lab or found a storage like a storage place that was ambiguously a lair or not or something. I don't know. Like they yeah. could have played with it. But in any case, this is when he's like, Oh shoot. It's gotta be Norman because here are the signs. Um, so that's kind of like, if we weren't suspecting Norman up to this point and we should have been, um, this sort of solidifies like, Oh shoot. He's a possible suspect too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when Harry arrives, Spidey, of course, slips away. He wants to talk to Harry, but he doesn't want to do it with Green Gosborn around, as he refers <laughs> to him, which I like. Clever. <laughs> and, you know, it makes sense. So he um, he leaves the Osborn residence, but he does want to like keep Harry safe from Norman. Meanwhile, like right after uh, uh, Spidey leaves, Harry sucks down another vial of the globulin green. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter, P- Peter, um, like goes downstairs, not downstairs, like, well, it is technically downstairs. He yeah. goes down to the, down to the street at the base of the Oscorp tower or Osborne residence tower um, and calls Harry from there. And he's trying to get Harry to like leave the house to not be around Norman. Yeah. The goblins in the house, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just come talk to me, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, Harry, you know, being the uh, asshole that he's been, <laughs> he, <laughs> he just, again, rejects Peter's offer. Um, he totally sees through him, too. And he's like, oh, you're. I don't want you to give me an earful that Gwen was going to give me anyway. Mm-hmm. But he's not like 100% brushing it off, brushing him off because he does acknowledge that, like, yeah, we're, we'll hang out at the uh, Halloween party tomorrow. Yeah. He also says at one point, like, well, why don't you just come up here then? So, like, I think he would have been ready to to endure it if uh, 
if if it was really going to happen, but there just wasn't any way Peter was going to go back into the Osborne residence. That's true. Yeah, I think part of it is just like, well, you're also going to like, you're not only going to lecture me, but you're going to be like putting me out, but making me like go outside to talk to you. <laughs> Come on, man. Right. Yeah. Right. So later, the, we later see the, uh, at the, I guess it's the next day at this point, at the Bleecker Street Carnival, um, Gwen is there and she's approached by MJ and they're both looking for Peter, but before both either of them can share why they're interrupted by well i guess gwen starts to share that there's something up with harry right yeah which is which is why i again wanted them to have a really nice moment last episode because then they can they seem to be established like hey they're starting to become friends yeah, now we can but, trust each other right but we don't really get that they just kind of start to have a conversation just because they have a mutual friend in peter <laughs> they've both been saved by spider-man that's true that's true (laughs) (laughs) that definitely i'm sure forms some kind of bond um (laughs) but uh but either way no matter what their conversation gets cut short and they're interrupted by the entire football team having a group cheerleader costume so Mm -hmm. i guess after flash lost the bet he convinced everyone to kind of join in and also dress as cheerleaders which is kind of fun actually i like that like take on it because it's sort of like well if i why don't we all just do this yeah it's actually a clever way to handle that situation. Yeah, because it's sort of like it's not really embarrassing for him because now it's just like, oh, it's a funny group costume that everybody's oh, doing. Oh, you know what I want to believe? What? <laughs> you know this is going to be about Rand, right? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I want to believe that Flash was actually really vulnerable with his friends and was like, guys, I can't. I can't do this. This is too embarrassing. And Rand was like, well, then why don't we all just do it with you? <laughs> You know what I mean? I love that. I love that. Yeah. Rand. Such a good guy. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. It's good. I like that headcanon. And, you know, I do appreciate that, like, Flash goes goes the most, like, full on with his costume, too. Because everybody else, they wear the costume and wear, like, a fake-looking wig. But, like, he has, like, beautiful hair uh, for his wig. (laughs) The beat is right. The wig is right. (laughs) Yeah, it looks... The padding is right. (laughs) He looks good in that outfit, honestly. Like, he's wearing makeup, too. I don't know if any of the other ones are wearing makeup. Like, he looks good. (laughs) Well, and you know what I appreciate is they, they being the show, really avoided making this cringy you know what i mean like they made a bet that the other one had to basically dress like a girl i mean you you pointed out that they never actually made that stipulation but that was the clear implication right and that having to dress like a girl was going to be humiliating and they could have really played on that but they chose not to and they made it as sort of nonchalant and sort of normal and fun and playful as possible Mm -hmm. and it i think it really worked yeah, no one no one talks about how gross he looks or anything right. like that. Like there's no in fact everyone actually is like really kind of admires him for being a good sport about it all. Yeah. And like and, and and like engaging and like kind of embellishing in it. Yeah. And it, it was cool of him for him to go that far with it. Like he yeah. he's clearly was having fun with his costume. It's just sort of like, well if I have to do this, might as well go all out, right? Coolest flash has <laughs> been. Well, I guess he was pretty cool when he was trying to help Spider Man, but I still think this yeah. is cooler. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think the girls really need to teach them how boobs work, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Just, like, slightly. <laughs> but I guess, here's the other thing. If we are, you know, we, we give a lot of um, credit to the writers in knowing and allowing their teenage boys of Peter and Harry to be, like, a little bit teenage boy cringy. Mm-hmm. 
and also allowing the characters around them to sort of acknowledge that. We don't really get the acknowledgement, but it is pretty believable that teenage boys would make fake boobs ridiculous. Right. You know, right. like doesn't Definitely. make it better, but it, it's at least believable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they play, I mean, and they also, they, I think like there's a point later on, they don't call it out, but um, I think MJ like shoves him or something like, like a little bit. And yeah. like you hear like the squeak of his fake <laughs> boobs. Like, yeah. it's yeah, like it's, it's clearly like that's, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't take that part of it extremely seriously. Yeah. Yeah. They did a good job with that. I was, yeah. I was, I'm going to admit I was real nervous about it, but they did a sure. good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kudos for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they do their whole cheerleader routine or whatever. Um, and Flash actually uh, attempts to flirt with MJ, even though he's in his full costume. Good for him. And uh, similarly, Sally tries to flirt with Rand. But uh, Rand actually shares that he's a little preoccupied with the shuttle landing. Sally kind of like has a selfish fit about this. She sucks. Sally really does suck. I'm a little just dis- like... Disappointed isn't the right word. I kind of wanted to like Sally, but she does kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> she and Kenny can get lost. But uh, yeah, she she has sort of a selfish fit. And Rand sort of like in the most snappy Rand ever gets was like, yo, John's like an older brother to me. Like, this is important. Chill. Yeah. Yeah. And he even is just like, it's another another uh, instance where it's just like, and he might not make it. Yeah. And that sucks that's a real bummer big bummer yep sucks almost as much as sally does anyway whoa (laughs) at the bugle uh peter arrives with pictures of spidey's last battle with the green goblin you know meanwhile obviously the staff is pretty preoccupied with the news of the shuttle jonah is actually on the phone with foswell who's like watching where the shuttle is supposed to land trying to get so uh jonah's trying to get updates from him and then we actually do see the shuttle land successfully so there's a couple of fake outs um and 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 everybody gets really somber with the possibility that it didn't but then the shuttle does appear john gets to have his big hero moment by successfully landing the shuttle safely no one dies no one gets hurt it doesn't have to land on the uh on the Brooklyn bridge and crash a lot of cars or anything. Yep. Um, it doesn't topple into the Hudson river and disappear forever. Nope. Realistically <laughs> Every- lands at an airport <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you yeah. land space shuttles. <laughs> what are the odds? Whoa. <laughs> um, so of course, you know, everybody's celebrating about that. Um, Jonah rejoices. Peter, you know, does, is there for a reason. So even while this is going on, he tries to sell his photos to Jonah. Um, but Jonah's like, hell no, this is all about my son. This is, people want to see the hero that landed the space shuttle. And then just kind of in his very JJ way, like, it's just like, just give him to the globe. They'll print anything. So Peter's like, okay, guess I will. Yeah. Fact or fiction, the globe is a reference to the Daily Planet. I thought the Daily Globe is just, I mean, maybe when it was originally written, but I think that's a thing that exists in, oh, okay. Mar- in Marvel. Because I think the Daily Globe might be where Eddie Brock got his job in the 90s show, too, I believe. Oh. And got fired from it the same day. <laughs> <laughs> All-time moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. <sighs> All right. Well, we do get another little mini scene here, um, similar to the ones that we were getting in the last episode. We cut to Oscorp, where Green Goblin attacks and steals something called the Inhibitor Prototype, which really all we can tell is kind of like a gun. We don't really know what it does. We just know that he's stolen new tech. 
This is an important one because we clearly see Norman and the goblin in the same room together. <laughs> yes, that's another one where I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> By this point, like it's yeah, there is there is no there's no denying unless they chose somebody entirely different you know what i mean like right by this point even if you wanted to believe like well maybe the goblin's just showing up in the formula because that's what the formula does eventually eh, Mm -hmm. at this point uh, there's really nothing left (laughs) yeah yeah well after that peter arrives at the carnival guess what he is in his spider-man suit (laughs) Mm -hmm. he just jumps down takes off his mask i mean (laughs) dumb Okay, Peter. <laughs> and we're definitely meant to believe that that was an accident. Like he was not planning to go to the Halloween costume as Spider Man. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't take it like that at all. I thought that because I thought that. Uh, I mean, I thought that's why, oh, why he okay. was landing right behind Gwen. I mean, maybe you're right. I don't. It's never like explicit, I guess. But I thought because he lands right behind Gwen and is still talking to her, like he didn't have to land in that moment. True. Um, I thought he so, was just being exceptionally dumb and was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess that works. <laughs> no, I think but, that was his, that was his plan all along. <laughs> yeah. What you're, what you're saying makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, everybody's like pointing out like, wow, you fill out your costume nicely, almost as if you have the muscles of the real Spider-Man. Interesting. Um, also, <laughs> um, I have to imagine you also wrote this down, but uh, maybe not. Uh, oh, I, believe- I did. Liz like specifically says you can web me up anytime pd which given the number of comparisons of spider-man webbing to other human bodily fluids how 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 is this in the episode this is right on the heels of very randy so i Uh mean (laughs) look they're getting a lot past the radar, and I am here for it. Wow. I mean, to be, I mean, to be fair, both of those jokes are things that absolutely would not register with children. True. So true, that's true, probably true. how they're doing it. It's still surprising. It's like really, really surprising every time they do it. Yeah, because it's very, very on the nose. Whoa. <laughs> but yeah, so Flash sees it while he and the other football cheerleaders, football players in cheerleader costumes are forming like a pyramid. Yeah. And he's like, oh, Puny Parker, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But, you know, this uh, their pyramid falls. Um, he comments that Harry was supposed to be the top of their pyramid, um, but he did not show up. And then nearby, some fireworks appear. Um, and everybody thinks they're just regular fireworks, but one of the fireworks is of a pumpkin bomb. So Peter realizes that the, this is the Green Goblin's signal mm-hmm. to uh, to meet for the very obvious trap. Right, because he said at this point, like, uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly where, and I'm not going to tell you exactly when, but you'll know. You'll know. So this is mm-hmm. his you'll know moment. Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man and Tombstone both arrive at the refinery at the same time, and once again sort of acknowledge, this time to each other, this is a trap, right? And they're both just like, <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely a trap. <laughs> uh, but they make their way inside. There's kind of a funny moment where uh, – Spider-Man, you know, does his Spider-Man thing and swings through a window. And Tombstone just sort of, like, smashes through a door. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it's funny even it's just like, wow, you're so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, nice juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. Inside, they find a humiliated hammerhead suspended over one of the cauldrons <laughs> of molten metal, which, good thing you're hammerhead, because that should be, like, burning your flesh off. Um, <laughs> 
in any case, Goblin does attempt to, well, he shows up. They probably talk a little bit, but who cares? Because Goblin attempts then to dump one of those cauldrons of molten metal on Tombstone, which is very violent, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah? yeah. A terrifying thing to do to someone. <laughs> also, it's kind of wild to think that that Goblin's plan was literally just to get them there and kill them. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, like, it's it's not it's not uncharacteristic, but I just didn't think of it in such blunt terms until this moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because yeah, normally there's a little more to it or there's something that he wants, but like yeah. literally all he wants is just to yeah. be rid of both of them. Get That's out of it. the picture, right. Yeah. So he, he attempts to to kill Tombstone with, with the molten lava, but Spidey swings in to save him. Um, and then when Goblin nearly impales Spidey with his glider, Tombstone returns the favor and actually knocks Goblin off course, preventing him from impaling Spidey at all. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the two are forced to work together once again, which we know <laughs> Spider-Man loves. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> There's also a moment where Tombstone takes like three of Goblin's blades to the back. Oh and my just, like, gosh. <laughs> they like stick into his body. What and he's just he like made of. I know. I know. And he just kind of like looks at them annoyed and rips them out. Like it's so bad. <sighs> It's like one of those moments in in a in like a B horror movie where he would pull that out and blood would spurt like three feet, yeah. like Adam's Family Values style. <laughs> right, right. It's great. I love this whole sequence. I love a uh, tombstone rescuing Hammerhead. Like Aww. he just like jumps onto the the molten chain thing that uh, that Hammerhead's tied to. Like swings on it a little bit to like release him, throws Hammerhead onto the the pathway above, and then like jumps back out, and they just run, and they're running while Hammerhead is still like in chains, like yep. he's still running, still being tied up just to get out of there. It's <laughs> and so we funny. also get like a similar effect to the teeny tiny octopus, yeah. where like they're in the, they're in the background, so they're like teeny tiny Hammerhead tied up running. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. It's very so cute. funny. <laughs> And then Goblin does the very goblin-y thing of just blowing the shit out of everything. Oh my gosh. It was so many. <laughs> so many. A ton of pumpkin uh. bombs just fall from every which way. Tons of screaming explosions like all over the place. I mean, like that place has been destroyed all to hell. Like it doesn't Ooh. exist anymore. There is it's no way. covered in molten metal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... Just when that thing cools off, it's just going to be like large blobs of steel or iron or whatever that they're not going to be able to get rid of. <laughs> nope. And that's just going to be a mainstay in Manhattan forever. It's art. <laughs> it's art. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that happens. Uh, Tombstone and Hammerhead escape on the helicopter, leaving Spidey and Goblin to fight it out amongst these crazy explosions. Yes, indeed. Um, of course, as you do in the middle of a fight, we cut back to the carnival. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the carnival, we see Flash attempting to hit on MJ. And she, well, I guess again. And she flat out rejects him this time. Gwen expresses frustration, just sort of like generally to the universe, I think, mm-hmm. that both Peter and Harry are absent from the carnival. Yeah. And I, I, I like MJ a lot in this scene because she's really... Um... We've seen that MJ is, like, really socially aware, but I think she's also, like, very insightful and can kind of see people for who they are, like, really easily. Because, like, she acknowledges how cool it was that Flash kind of made the best of the bet that he lost. Yeah. It even, like, says, like, that he actually looks really good in that skirt. So... (laughs) 
like totally, you know, more points in MJ being very progressive and yeah. totally up for anything for one. But, and I like, I mean, and I think her rejection of it is really cool too. It's just like she was with Peter. It's just like, no, we're, I like you, but we're friends. Like that's, I'm not, not, not up for, uh, for being tied down or anything. Yep. Which, respect MJ. I totally feel you. Wow. What a healthy thing for young developing boys to, to watch on television. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because neither of them gets like irrationally angry with her. Like they might be a little confused. They might be like, mm-hmm. oh, I misread that. But yeah, you know, she just rejects them and, and that's that. Yep. And Flash okay. is just like, okay. I mean, you know, and to be fair, he did literally just break up with his girlfriend like a week ago. <laughs> like there's yeah. no, it would be a bad idea for him to get together with anybody at this yeah. point. Yeah. Give it some time, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to the fight. Uh, Cause it's sort of like, what's going on Um, (laughs) we just sort of left us there so um spider-man and goblin continue their confrontation outside the refinery and spider-man begins to declare aloud that he knows goblin's identity under the mask he even goes so far as to say i know that it's norman osborne i know that that's you of course this is entertaining to goblin and instead of just rejecting it outright he says that we all wear masks and then sort of turns the tables on Spider-Man and questions whether Spider-Man's face underneath the mask or the Spidey mask itself is his real face. Basically a, like, uh, I'm just going to confuse and baffle you to throw you off your point type of (laughs) Mm -hmm. tactic. But ultimately what it does is it once again highlights this question that was posed earlier about is the alter ego what's real or is it, you know, like like what's real? Is is the mask just showing who you are inside or is it actually covering you up like what's the role there yeah well and that's that's it's always an interesting question with like superhero stuff or any type of like alter ego secret identity things because i mean we've seen many many examples just in this version of spider-man but obviously in many other ones where you know peter peter was like a nerdy kid but now that he has these powers he's grown a lot of confidence so when he is being peter parker at school he there's many moments where he has to make himself like weaker or not do like the really cool move in front of his friends to protect his secret identity, which would then imply that like Spider-Man is more who he is than Peter Parker. Yeah. Which is, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, like it's an interesting thought experiment where it's just like, well, who, who are you? Like who fundamentally are you? Is it two pieces of one whole? Like there is a Peter Parker aspect and there's a Spider-Man aspect or is Spider-Man like you being you like fully like happy, like 100% out of the closet metaphor essentially. (laughs) Um, And then Peter, Peter is who you have to be when you're in the closet and pretend, you know, not really fully like engaging with who you want to be and feel right. in your own skin, even though Spider-Man is the one that is like fully decked out in a costume who technically has the quote unquote secret identity, you know, well, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Isn't that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that sort of a big thing in Superman where yeah. su- I, I don't know if Superman says this or if someone else acknowledges this or what, but like Superman is the real identity and Clark Kent is the disguise. And I think with Superman, that's like, I easily accepted for some reason, maybe because he's literally from another planet, mm-hmm. but I think it applies to a lot of superheroes. Am mm-hmm. I getting that twisted or? No, you're right. But that's the thing is even with Superman, it, it depends on the adaptation of him that you're seeing mm. because there are times like that's, that is explicitly said like in a couple of uh, versions of him, but you can also watch some shows and movies where they actually switch that up a little bit. Like Smallville did a lot more like questioning of that where 
you're not really sure up until the end they kind of mess it up i think a little bit but <laughs> for a long time you're really you're you're really questioning like okay but who is actually clark kent is the clark yeah. kent that we're seeing the superman clark kent or is it is clark kent like actually the disguise or not like it's 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 really interesting like how they've kind of played with that in mm-hmm. superman mythos and i mean i think it's either way like no matter how you play it it's interesting one way or another it's yeah. just you know a matter of of thinking about it, <laughs> it yeah. is always I mean honestly you can you can use it in either direction to serve the story that you're telling and that's and that's fine it's interesting no matter what yeah right so after this exchange um, goblin actually does capture spider-man using what he calls his gobwebs which we realize is the aforementioned inhibitor prototype it's just now attached to his glider <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and basically what this is is it's this sort of like quick hardening goop that goblin is shooting at spider-man in order to try to incapacitate him yep yep what this leads to is a pretty cool sequence that's like very reminiscent of like some famous uh comics situations where spidey is basically instead of being like tied up he's basically gets shot with like this goop that hardens around him so uh, like right around his arms essentially tying him up but just Mm -hmm. in like something even harder to break he uh so and and then um goblin like has him attached to his glider with that throwing him through the air making him like crash onto stuff like he's giving spidey like a really big beating man spider-man's had like a really rough couple of battles here (laughs) really has yeah (laughs) i mean it makes sense like doc ock and green goblin they're top tier for a reason oh yeah (laughs) <laughs> but but there's even like a bit where goblins like let's see what breaks first my gobwebs or your face basically <laughs> um, <laughs> um and like it it doesn't work at all neither of them get destroyed so what? he ends up just <laughs> yeah they're both very strong <laughs> so he drops spidey from a crazy big height um which there's nothing for spidey to like web up or anything like that to catch himself so instead he expends the cartridge's entire stock as he's falling like and turning to like create just like this ball of webbing <laughs> to like cushion his fall so he, yeah. he he bounces across like multiple buildings as he's as he's landing and then eventually the webbing all breaks when he lands but it also breaks the uh, the gob webs and to which he says all this pain at least proves that i'm still alive yeah <laughs> My God. (laughs) (laughs) When all you have left is physical pain. (laughs) Right. You're like 16, kid. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Uh, Well, it is nice that he did this ball thing because it saved his life and created sort of like a nice little tool that he can use to get back at at, uh, Goblin because naturally Goblin's next move is to throw a pumpkin bomb Mm -hmm. and Spider-Man uses the remains of the sort of web ball as I don't I guess I don't know what the word is but he he basically bounces the the pumpkin bomb off of his web goop stuff it's like he's like it's almost like he has a sheet to like catch the the bomb and like repel and like repel it back off yeah yeah it's like one of those baseball pitching trampolines that you like throw so the ball comes back at you yeah he does that (laughs) which is a far more complicated description than we needed but he fires (laughs) the pumpkin bomb back And it actually works. Uh, it hits Green Goblin. It injures his leg um, in the resulting explosion. And Goblin takes this as a sign to get out of there, basically. Spider-Man would web him up, except that he just used all of his web. So he tries to jump on the glider and fails. So Goblin is able to escape. 
Mm-hmm. I love the way the goblin escapes is just like he grabs the glider and is just hanging off of it as it flies away. It's yeah. really cool. So Spidey pursues Goblin. Um, he, he's like, I know where you live. So <laughs> he goes back to uh, the Osborne residence. Um, the Goblin did get there first and he witnesses Green Goblin on the couch. He's like, oh, I knew it was you, Norman. But the uh, Goblin removes his mask and it's Harry who's very confused, totally out of breath, like apparently couldn't breathe in that mask because um, he has apparently was in a blackout and just recovered mm-hmm. from his blackout. So Norman enters the room to find Spider-Man, Harry, dressed as the Green Goblin, and an empty vial of the Globulin on the floor. Um, And he puts two and two, or I guess like three and three together, (laughs) and (laughs) explains its effects. That essentially it was an experimental formula that is highly addictive, and that that is something that like Oscorp was creating. So Harry must have come uh, and stolen it from Oscorp. Um, He demands that Harry explains himself. Um, and Harry be- begins to like very angrily explain his reasoning. And then he has another one as blackouts, but instead of passing out, it manifests as like pure like anger and rage where his like his, uh, his pupils or I guess his irises like get very, very tiny. He like throws Norman across the room with his super strength, which establishes he does have super strength. He has some kind of like alternate persona that, that manifests when he blacks out. And that pretty much confirms for for Peter and Norman that he must have, like, become the Green Goblin as some kind of alternate personality. Yes. This is the stuff that I actually really like when all is said and done. Because Spider-Man asks Norman, okay, why would Harry do all of this, though? Like, why would he attack the big man? Why would he attack Oscorp? I don't get what the point of all of it was i do think this is a little bit telly and maybe not as showy as it could have been but i still like the story that they built um so norman basically says harry certainly would have witnessed conversations that norman had had with the big man's folks um so harry would have heard them threatening norman but also harry's taken a lot of abuse from norman so he developed a personality subconsciously that could simultaneously protect Norman, but also retaliate against Norman. Sort of the side of Harry that wants to please his father on one hand, and the side of Harry that wants to get back at his father in the other, sort of manifests in the Green Goblin just attacking everyone, kind of. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Which I think actually makes a lot of sense, and I really like that idea. Mm -hmm. They just explain a lot. They just explain it all at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Norman, Norman, Norman pretty much just delivers like, oh, you have a question? Here's an answer. For every question that you have, I have an answer for it. Yeah, which is weird because he's also figuring it out right then and there. Yeah. He's a smart guy, though. I mean, Norman is to be understood as a genius. So it's not like weird that he figures it out. Mm -hmm. And if I'm being fair, we did see the interactions leading up to it, but they were very confusing at the time. (laughs) Sure, sure. But, you know, it's not the only stuff that was confusing along the way. So sure. Yeah. Do so, you like this reasoning? Like, do you like the the motivation or the the story that um, they craft that explains Green Goblin's motivations or personality? I actually I do like the motivations of it because I think okay. they're because you know there's there's precedent in a lot of variations of the Green Goblin for it to be a split personality situation. It's yeah. it's you know always with Norman most of the time, but but that there's precedent there for it. So I like that they sort of use that to contribute to like the mystery of it and 
and but also like to Harry's downfall, but also like synthesized with like a very traditional addiction story that Harry has also had in the comics as well. Yeah. So it's it's their kind of typical way of like fusing a bunch of different aspects together. But but all that said, like I think that I think it's a really cool character development thing for Harry because we have seen all of that set up for why that would be his motivation. Like right. whether you buy it, whether you buy him like blacking out, creating a green goblin identity and flying around on a glider and like being an amazing like planner and agent of chaos and everything. I think it's fair, fair to argue that maybe that doesn't work as well yeah. the way that it manifests. But I think the motivations and the way that, like, even within his subconscious, it's all kind of, like, contradictory, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, humans are very complicated beings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And our our subconscious or our our feelings about things can be very complicated. And he clearly has a lot of resentment in his life, not unlike Otto, actually, where it's just a lot of really repressed resentment that just manifested in a really twisted way. Right. So that all sucks um, <laughs> for, for the characters. Right. It's a sucky um, situation. Real sucky situation. Um, Norman Norman does offer to take the fall for Harry, even kind of like they, they sort of play a little bit with like Norman being the Green Goblin too, because it's sort of like I'm just as responsible for the Green Goblin as anyone is because I – I created the situation where this could happen, essentially. And I created this resentment for Harry to have in general. So this is kind of like the first time that we we see Norman supposedly have like a little bit of self-awareness and taking responsibility yeah. for... Suddenly for, woke Norman. Right, right. So he actually offers to take the fall for Harry, but, uh, but Spider-Man, of course, is like, no, why would you do that? Um, Norman, of course, is like, well... If we if Harry goes to prison for being the goblin and that word gets out, then then Tombstone is going to kill him like he will have someone kill him in revenge. So either either I take the fall or Harry dies or we can split the difference and just let the goblin's identity remain a mystery and just lay it all the rest and just say the goblin is just gone for good. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, Spidey agrees to. I mean, it's it's a conflict for him, but ultimately he's like, yeah, I guess I guess that's what we got to do. Yeah. And so he just whips away. Like he just leaves the situation. I mean, he's basically like, it's, it's finally forcing Peter to pay attention to his friends and make a sacrifice for one of his friends, which up to this point in the show, he has never done. And we're actually kind of seeing the consequence of what it does when he is not paying attention to his friends because he could have intervened a long time ago when Gwen first started noticing something, or maybe he actually noticed that his friend was acting kind of out of character at some point intervened and could have stopped all of this. Uh, Good thing. Peter hasn't like pissed off any of his other friends, especially ones that are like older and bigger and maybe former football players. Cause that would be really bad. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, good thing, right? (laughs) <laughs> mm, yeah 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 it's cool everybody's happy and happy with peter and in therapy sure. and in therapy Everyone actually is in therapy. harry's probably genuinely going to therapy <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> <laughs> which good good these characters could use some we all could yep 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 all right. Well, the next day, um, Robbie shares with Jonah. They, they really, they really just cut to a different uh, scenario here. But I don't know what else could have been said about the last one. So, um, the next day, Robbie shares with Jonah that the Globe's coverage of Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, I think he says, slaughtered the Bugle's yeah. coverage yeah. of the shuttle landing, which 
actually is pretty disappointing to be honest (laughs) like i can understand jameson's like disappointment at that but yeah but we get this really i think uh very interesting reaction from jonah where he says all right robbie in that case craft an exclusivity contract with peter and here's our next headline spider-man you know friend or foe or whatever he says i can't remember his exact words oh no i think he's just the old school threat or menace thing there you go Yeah, yeah 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 But he basically, it's its interesting to think about because he's basically like, all right, fine. If people want Spider-Man, not only are we going to give them Spider-Man, but we're going to lock in the coverage, which means I can just destroy him. <laughs> I can destroy his <laughs> reputation because I've locked my photographer into a contract and my photographer yeah. is the only one who can actually get pictures of this guy. Yeah. I don't know how menacing it actually ends up being in the long run but knowing how jameson has been in certain interpretations it's actually like a pretty ruthless move yeah that's interesting you know i didn't even think of it that way actually of like at first but you're but you're right it actually is sort of like yeah it's actually it's like okay well we'll just make this paper's commitment being to taking down spider-man basically yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean he's he's it's a personal slight against him to have spider-man take coverage away from his son who he openly talks about being a true hero yeah um so why he's definitely not? gotta be gotta be pissed about that so. yeah yeah it's it's interesting that his retaliation like that's what he's retaliating against spider-man for it gives him such a personal reason to dislike spider-man outside of just being you know a public menace right yeah that is that's very interesting see i was looking at it uh, like and this is kind of like a more like macro like universe type of type of level but like the fact that Locking Peter into an exclusivity contract, like that's a that's a, a benefit for Peter, uh, yeah. obviously. And it's sort of like the, for the first time, Peter finally like does something good for his friends, like does something, <laughs> and then he's immediately like rewarded by the universe. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean that's I think that's I think that can still be true. It actually makes it even more devastating that Jameson is ready to use that to trash Spider Man. Right, know, like Peter's rewarded, but also like wait you're doing what now with my pictures? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I do like that. I didn't think of that. Um, the fact that, yeah, the, the time that he really does genuinely do something for his friend, the universe does reward him. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So um, at Midtown, Peter hears MJ call out to him. And then he's like, wait, and does a double take and then realize like, wait, you're, you don't go to this school. She doesn't even go here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, that's when MJ shares that she's actually transferred to Midtown so she can be part Who of the regular cast. that coming? <laughs> I know. What? No way. <laughs> um, no, to be, and to be fair, this was set up. She was very interested yeah. in the, um, the theater magnet and, and was able to get into the theater program, she says. So, mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, expect her to be part of the regular cast now. And she uh, she does say that she tried to tell him, but Peter explains that he has been preoccupied with Harry, which Gwen overhears and uses that to segue into telling Peter that Harry is going to be traveling uh, over. I think she says he's traveling overseas. So probably not unlike the PS4 Spider-Man game, yeah. probably in quote unquote in Europe to get the help that he needs. So, mm-hmm. but either way, uh, she also calls out that he is finally getting the help that he needs. So that's, a good thing, I guess, but that's the thing that I think is really interesting about this scene that I think kind of colored my 
viewing of this episode or my perspective of this episode when I watched it for this podcast I didn't really catch before yeah. is that like it's an unsatisfying conclusion to the mystery, right? I feel like they knew that it was going to be kind of unsatisfying because of the way that this scene is handled because everyone is like unsatisfied in this scene. Like Peter is sort of like, I guess it's a happy ending and they're all just kind of there, just kind of despondent about it. And I feel like the way that we feel watching this being kind of like, well, that kind of sucks. Like (laughs) that is exactly how they're feeling. We're just sort of like, well, it's good that he's got help, but that kind of sucks. And that's really disappointing that it played out that way. Yeah. That is a cool way to look at it. And I, I feel like I probably need a perspective like that to help work through my own sort of confused feelings. Yeah. Well, and here's why, here's why I think that, that, that sort of, that might be what they were doing. Like that was, might be more intentional was because the way that this episode ends, the scene after it, Mm -hmm. It goes to Foswell and John Jameson. They're talking about, oh, the shuttle landing was great, blah, blah, blah. And then we cut to a mysterious black substance on the other side of the shuttle that moves, jumps toward the camera, and then blacks out on that. And that is the first time that we've ended an arc like that specifically signals what the next arc is going to be. The last two, they've just kind of ended, and that's it. Yeah. This is the first time that we've actually seen, like, okay, the next, like, big bad or main plot point or whatever is going to be the symbiote, which is a thing that they've teased since the opening credits of the show. Right. And is a thing that, if you have any knowledge of Spider-Man, you know has been signaled with the space shuttle. You have been expecting and wanting. So it's sort of like, okay, they're almost kind of giving you a little bit of a reprieve, I feel like. It's sort of like, okay, we know that this is disappointing. Mm. We know that this sucks. This sucks for the characters. But... But stick with us because the stuff that you want to see, the good stuff is coming. So still just trust us. Like we do have good things planned, the things that you want to see. This situation, we were just trying to make you feel like how it feels for Peter being in the situation right now. Hmm. I th- I'm going to have to spend some time with that because I, because I think it's a really smart way of looking at it. I'm still just struggling, and this is what I'm going to meditate upon. Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with the why, because the storytellers are the ones who decide what happens. And so what what I need to come to terms with is why they would tell us a story that they know is going to disappoint. Sure. And I, I, I think there's a beginning to the coping. Coping is so dramatic. I'm being so dramatic. <laughs> but like, but there's a beginning to that coping process if I think of it as, okay, if the goal was to make us feel the way that characters feel, it's, it's the first step across the bridge to sort of like putting it all together. So yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, or at least a, a healthy, productive way to look at it. Yeah. And I look at it like, you know, having seen the whole show, I think more times than not, the evidence points to that the writers are very, very intentional about what they do. And I don't think that there are very many cases where they really particularly like slip up, especially when they're kind of going for a big swing. Yeah. So that's what makes me really hesitate to just be like, well, they didn't know what they were doing. Like, I know that's not what you're saying, but like, yeah. it's hard to not... It's, it's, I, I, I never, I, whenever I get the incl- inclination where it's just like, I don't get what they're doing here, 
I feel like there is probably a reason for it that isn't just like they didn't write it well or maybe they swung too big and, and, and just couldn't, you know, and just missed in the end. Like, I feel like they're always very intentional about what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree with that. I, I, uh, I, I, I take no agency away from what they're doing. I just don't get it. I just, I really don't get it. So I guess that's the thing that I'll have to dig and try to find something or whatever. This, I think that really does transition well into like, what was the reaction? You've, you've sort of told me that it was controversial or that it Mm -hmm. was, you know, that I, I, my reaction certainly is not a unique one. So what was, what were people saying or what was the Mm -hmm. takeaway from this? So to my memory, and at least like in the internet circles that I was in, obviously this isn't the the end all be all, but I feel like the, the, the gist that I remember getting a decade ago was that it was a mixture of like, you know, what I was talking about in the last episode where there was still that attitude of like, they changed it. Now it sucks, which is a thing that we've sort of moved away from a little bit as a culture. It was still there. And I think a lot of people were hung up on the fact that, well, they changed it so Harry is the goblin first and not Norman. Oh, that's I don't care. I think that, that <laughs> but 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 I think that was a big part of the disappointment that made it kind of controversial where it's sort of like huh. I don't think people really got why they made that change necessarily. Where it's sort of like, well, okay, I get it's like an addiction storyline, but like yeah. why did you why why was this how how it all played out? Like what it, I don't think I think people were I, I think the idea was that like it didn't seem like the there is enough benefits of changing this to being Harry's story to like justify making that change. Mm-hmm. Whereas like with the Montana shocker situation, it made sense. Like there, it, it did justify making that change because they would have been boring characters. Otherwise okay, in yeah. this case, the characters are really interesting. So if you're going to kind of play around with that and, and kind of like flip who the goblin is and what their motivations are and what they're doing with it, like there has to be enough to justify that. And I think people didn't think, that it really was enough at the time to justify making that change. Hmm. Okay. Um, and obviously we think a little bit differently because we're not concerned with just changing the source material. Now it's sort of like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Do it if you want yeah. to, as long as it's a good story. So yeah, that, I mean, that definitely wouldn't have been my complaint. Cause I don't, I don't mind what, I don't mind it being hairy. And I actually, I very much appreciate the sort of like, like the in universe, why and how and all that sort of stuff so mm-hmm. um okay well that's hmm, interesting yeah yeah i i'm I, i'm like almost disappointed that that's what it boiled down to <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. Where it's like oh fanboys were mad okay yeah 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 <laughs> which is probably me being too dismissive but uh, but i mean but i think that's why it's interesting that there's shades of like weird levels of disappointment for this one yeah you know and it's also the fact that it's like this is also only episode nine of the like entire twenty six episode sure. show. So it's like it'll be interesting to see your thoughts going forward on how they handle like similar types of mysteries and things to this, you know, like in, in the future. So, yeah, well, I guess what I can say is, you know, I mentioned that this has humbled my expectations uh, greatly, which I, I think is a good thing and will be a healthy thing. I think that the better way for me to enjoy this show mm-hmm. isn't to necessarily turn off the possibilities, but to still sort of ex- to, to allow myself to expect the things they know I expect. Yeah. Which are conventional things so that any swings or risks they do take, I'm allowing to happen. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So like, I, I'm not going to turn off 
the fact that I've noticed all the different potential hosts to Venom. Mm -hmm. But I think the healthy thing is for me to say, but it's still probably going to be Eddie, which is what I've been saying. I just need to give that treatment to everybody else so that I'm not setting myself up for sort of like this weird convoluted layering of expectations. Yeah. Which is not, that's not on them. That's, you know, I, I still think that the mystery building was weird, but ultimately... I don't. I think it's more an expectations thing than it is a them sure. writing thing. Yeah, I will say that I think the general consensus is also that season two is like stronger than season one overall. Oh. Um, and I think that part of that is attributed to like how how they handled this kind of middle section of the season. So I think okay. that I think like all the things that you're saying are are totally fair, but. As I've said many times before, I'm excited to see how things go moving forward. <laughs> yeah, oh, me too. I mean, also, <laughs> I, I, um, you know, I always think anytime I'm being critical, I'm probably, I'm probably thinking I'm being far more negative than I will eventually end up actually sounding. Sure. Yeah, and so I don't think I should clarify. Like the fact that season two is considered better is like mind blowing to me because season <laughs> one thus far, I think, has been incredible. This is like. The the one thing I, I don't like, and it actually has nothing to do with the story itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the story is not what I am confused or disappointed by. It's the, I guess, the structuring, which really is not a testament to the character building at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, I guess, um, doesn't detract from the character building, and it's I a, should say. It's the kind of thing where if, if, if this similar story happened in the 90s show, I think it would have been, we would have reacted to it totally differently because the expectations are totally yeah. different and... The bar is very different in, in oh, every other show. So it's just because this of would how... have been an absolute triumph for Amazing Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow, a multi episode arc, <laughs> <laughs> a triumph of the Green Goblin. Yeah, oh, 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 uh, uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. But no, I think, I think you're right. I think where, where a series sets its bar. Uh, very understandably uh, affects how we we view it. And I don't think that's unfair, um, but I do think it's realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think that's fair. To re- and that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was very curious about what your reactions this episode were going to be, and um, you did not disappoint me in how complicated <laughs> they are. <laughs> Gosh, what if, man... What if I was just like, wow, that was the best episode of Spider-Man I've ever seen. I would have been <laughs> fascinated. <laughs> fascinated. I also should, I, I guess even that's misleading because this episode itself still isn't what was weird for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was all the it's stuff. It's like the building up to this episode that yes. was weird for me. Yeah. So I guess, again, like if I, if I'm, the exercises I'm going to need to really go through to like separate this episode and really treat each of its components both within the episode confines and outside of it as their respective parts. I think it's interesting that you are processing it 10 years later and I'm processing it three days later mm-hmm. because it, it, it gives me um, a very intriguing future to look into Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of turning this episode over for many years to come. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> and not, and, and it's weird and it's also weird knowing like where the show goes like what what of these storylines are and aren't picked up in the future like and how how they happen like you know yeah. so it's like it's it's i remember watching it back then a little bit but like having the knowledge now and then hearing like your thoughts and everything it's just like it's just it's it is a very strange but like fascinating experience 
and yeah. and hearing like how you process this stuff and it's sort of like there's certain things where it's sort of like I oh yeah I was going through exactly what you were going through when I watched this for the first time in 2008 but then there are other things where it's sort of like it's really fascinating that you're thinking of it in this way <laughs> when that didn't even cross my mind then yeah. and even sitting on it 10 years later knowing how the show like knowing where the show goes and knowing like knowing all the men about it having processed like and that I still did not have like some of the thoughts that you had so yeah that's really cool <laughs> this show let me tell you yeah. Man, what are we doing after this? Are we just, like, watching more Amazing Friends? Because, like, holy shit. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to talk a little bit after we finish yeah. recording so about what the plan's going to be for this. Wowie so. zowie. <laughs> I know. All right. <laughs> we still got a little bit of business to attend yeah. to, though. Not much. Just a couple of fun things. So the faces, yeah. of, the faces of this episode, I caught two. So I did another, another screen cap of Gwen's look because there's another really, really good The Look that she gives. Just want to call it out because, again, they're actually very plot relevant in these two episodes. Yes. So yeah, and it's such a well drawn face for her. It's a good, it's a good look because I totally get what they're going for. Um, yeah, for sure. The other one, <laughs> so uh, Glory and Kenny, I hate them together. Um, I hate oh. Kenny so much, <sighs> and I know that. It's not fair for me to judge Glory on Kenny's actions, but I will judge Glory for continuing to date him. Yeah, I mean, she kind of, um, I don't know, she kind of enables him by, like, I mean, I mean, enable isn't really the right word, I guess, well, but. And she's demonstrated that she's smart and capable and intelligent and has agency. Yeah. Like, she, she is the dominant force in that relationship, so I don't get it. Right. The image that I guess we're supposed to be talking about it, that is screen capped. It's right when um, Kenny like steals one of the cookies that they're selling for probably charity or fundraising or whatever. Right. Does her whole like trick or treat, blah, blah, blah. It's really dumb. And I don't think Glory even like has any lines. She just gives him a look and he's like, you're not going to break up with me over a cookie, are you? The face that Glory gives is really funny because it's weirdly drawn because <laughs> her eye is like half closed and like mm-hmm. very close to the bottom of her face. Yes. <laughs> Teeny tiny eye. Yeah. But it's still like supposed to be like the stink eye. And then Kenny is just like sad and disappointed. And they both look ridiculous in their costumes. And I just feel like it's the perfect encapsulation of the misery of their relationship. Yeah. No, I think that's very fair. I also um, saw the caption for your second picture and thought that you were captioning this, the look number two. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is Glory's the look. (laughs) I mean, that kind of works. I don't know how like she makes her eye migrate like lower down on her face when she gives the look, but she does somehow. I would certainly be terrified of that look. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Gosh, we have so many feelings about Glory. I, I would have, you know, I, never in a million years would I have expected to be talking about Glory Grant as much as we've talked about her on this podcast. We just have a lot of respect for you, Glory, and we want you to have just an ounce more respect for yourself. Oh, God, seriously? Because <laughs> Kenny is trash. Kenny is trash. <sighs> <sighs> And I guess if you made it to the end of this three-hour episode, hashtag Kenny is trash. (laughs) To let us know you got here. (laughs) Oh, boy. These are are some of the hardest episodes to talk about that we've ever had on this show, I feel like. Yeah. (sighs) Hey, that's what we do. Yep. 
Yep, I'm not mad about it. I love this show so much. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's, you know, I think it's significant that only, I know we're nine episodes in, but only seven episodes in, I was definitely calling it, you know, my favorite Spider-Man cartoon. So Mm -hmm. didn't take much. I mean, they really, really nailed it early on. They'd really have to... The rest of the series would have to be the wettest fart for me to change my opinion. <laughs> Spoiler, it's not. Yeah, I didn't expect so. Although, <laughs> my last observation, uh-huh. that black, black sludge, that was real bad. <laughs> that was like... <laughs> Really dated. Because um, it's like it's like a weird like CGI model that they use for yeah. it that they overlay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I'll say about that. I'm sure we'll have more discussion about it later unless sure. they fix it real quick. Sure. <laughs> Anywho, like we said, you're here three hours in. Uh, you've hashtagged Kenny is trash. You've dug into these episodes deep with us. If you like what we're doing, because we like what we're doing, and you want us to keep doing it bigger and better and more and more often and in all kinds of new ways, go ahead and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and become a patron. Um, anything that you give is helpful. We're going to keep doing the show no matter what, but the more folks that support us, the bigger, better, longer, more frequently, more diverse ways we can do it. And if you decide to become a $5 or up patron, you actually get perks, which are just our way of saying, Thanks for sticking with us. Um, so check that out. There's some really cool perks. We've done commentaries. We hope to do some Q&As um, and all kinds of other stuff. We've tossed around lots of ideas. Um, if we end up getting, you know, a lot of folks who want to hear more of our thoughts um, and dive in deeper with us. Uh, so uh, we hope you'll check that out and consider that. Yes, please. In the meantime, I think you should also check out other things that we do. So where else can we find you on the internet, Doug? If you'd like to find more of what I'm doing, um, the best place to look is Twitter, at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. I tweet about a lot of the podcast stuff, but other things as well. And you can also find me on the Four Eyed Radio Network on another show called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. We are actually, um, we will have just celebrated three years of talking Pokemon. Wow. Which is kind of wild because we don't think about that all that much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It kind of took me off, uh, took me by surprise. Um, But yeah, we've been doing it a while. So if you like Pokemon stuff, we talk about kind of whatever we want over there, Pokemon related. And uh and uh, we hope that you'll give that a listen to. Um, Derek, what are you up to? Where can we find you? Cool. You can also find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale um, and tweeting about everything. Uh, lots of stuff. So um, that was vague. Cool. And you can also find me on... <laughs> his, his feed is exclusively vague tweets. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you never know what he's saying. No. Nope. It's probably about you. <laughs> nope. 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 Um, <laughs> Jeez. God, these are get, these gets these are. I hate doing plugs. It's so hard. Um, you can also <laughs> find me on YouTube. Um, my show Second Chance. Uh, currently on hiatus, but will be having a season two. Um, which I like Spectacular Spider-Man. I hope it's stronger than season one. That'll be coming out in a couple of months, probably. But I look at uh, media that's usually deemed like bad or divisive. Um, in the cultural consciousness, but trying to look at it from a positive lens, looking at intentionality. Um, for example, looking at things like 
the Green Goblin mystery in Spectacular Spider-Man. <laughs> That's not an episode that I have, but it could be looking at yeah. like what the intentionality of it maybe was and why it actually could be good and pulling something positive out of it. But, um, but yeah, so find me there. Um, and you can follow Walloping Web Snappers if you'd like to see updates from us, see our faces of the episode, as well as like clips and other goodies. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us any questions, concerns, or comments to Walloping Web Snappers Podcast at gmail.com. We'd also love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcast platform. If you write us a review, we might slash will do a dramatic reading of it on our social <laughs> <Definitely> media <will>. <laughs> so um give us something write us something good and we will read it even if it's bad we'll also read it too might be reading it while we're crying but you know it's cool too maybe <laughs> like we said you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash wallowing web snappers but in the meantime next time we're going to be seeing more than one black costume hmm, hmm. in the episodes persona and hmm. group therapy I don't know what that means, so I'm going to go think about that. Bye. Bye. Oh, there's a cat head again. <laughs> Hi, cat head. <laughs> just the head, just a floating yeah. cat head. Yeah, he just pops his head in between the towels. Get out of here. 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 Thank you. <laughs>